The bloodline is hemorrhaging members, and I'd like to tie a tourniquet around Tony Khan's neck. We'll try to give this week in wrestling an entertainment transfusion on today's program. And joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. His blood type is listed on the New York Stock Exchange, the great Brian Last, everybody. Thanks, guys. And aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. For another action-packed week, we have a lot. And you know what? We had a lot to talk about, and then in like the last day, we keep hitting each other with other things to talk about here on the show. So hopefully not a five-hour edition. So, well, no, it ain't going to be. Because I got, I got things to do, places to go, and people to see. How about that? I'm done. That's the end of the show. Good night, everybody. No, um, we have got a, a lot of the television programs to talk about today. Uh, we've also got some exciting news from the Midnight Express camp. We'll get into that here in a few minutes. But, you know, Brian, the, the weather here in Louisville. Now, I've, I've, I've had two main projects I wanted to get into after I finished the the backlog of orders on the big action figure sale and got that under control. I've been longing all spring for where I can do two things. Number one, put the house back together, the the vault and the office and all the various parts of the castle where all the remodeling projects have been done and get out in the yard and commune with nature and do the the landscaping and the gardening and the things and such of that nature and feed the bunnies. And finally, I have gotten done with, as I said, all of the action figure chaos and I got to the point where I could have a couple of days maybe to get out and tinker around, and the storms and wind and rain that we have had in Louisville, Kentucky, has given way now to heat and drought. So I got some time to get out in the yard this afternoon. It's going to be 93 degrees. And I thought I might have some time to put the house back together this week, but several people have called me about several things. We may have some, we've already got some big announcements, big things going on here over the next few weeks on the program that you and I are going to be talking about. And other people are contacting me. I don't know what, my free time is flying out the window where it's 94 degrees outside and where I don't want to be. So I'm just confused. What should I just talk to you and to people? Should we just do a marathon broadcast where we never actually finish? Or are we already doing that? I thought we were in the middle of that right now. That may be, it's a, a, a long season, folks. Huh, you know what I've been watching on television besides the wrestling, besides the graps, as they say across the pond? Have you seen the FDR documentary on the History Channel? I have not, but you mentioned it to me. I need to check it out. 
And and for those of you out there listening, not carefully, I didn't say FTR doc. Stacy thought thought I said I was watching the three part FTR documentary, and she says, "What's that on?" I said, "No, no, F the Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the president of the United States who saved the world from the threat of the Axis powers and the Great Depression, and it's a wonderful program." They did a great job. Doris Kearns Goodwin, Michael Beschloss, all of the prominent presidential historians are part of the program. Douglas Brinkley? A, Douglas Brinkley's on there. John Meacham? I don't, I'm trying to remember. Did they? they you know, I've, I see John Meacham's face so much that I'm, I'm thinking he might have been on there also. So he is doing the Cornet biography. Who, John? He said you see him so much. No, I mean, I see his face on television so much. Oh, so he's not doing the No, we, we turned him down. I'm not, I'm not going to be president. We're, we're going with more of a Lawrence Fishburne type of thing. What? Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne's going to do my documentary. Okay. Like he's, he's doing the fucking, you know, unsolved mysteries and fucking strange occurrences. But anyway, it was a great, it's another example of a, of a Democratic president saving the world. Roosevelt saved the world from Hitler. Kennedy saved the world from Khrushchev. Obama saved the world from Bush, and Biden saved the world from Trump. Why is it that it's always, why don't we just keep the Democrats in office and then we wouldn't have to save the world from anybody? You say another example. Is that the first example? Well, well, there's been others. I could go back even further. But then, you know, actually, they, they did a double turn, you right. know, around about the Civil War. Because then the Republicans were the party of Lincoln. They were the baby faces back then. But then, you know, shit happened. I don't yeah. know what. That turn wasn't completed until the 70s, I don't think. It, 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 was, a, it, was, a, well, it was slow. It was long-term storytelling. <laughs> So one hundred year term, <laughs> but the presidents had had things under control after about fifty. That's right. Anyway, so everybody should watch that. And also, while we're plugging programming, uh, this week's Dark Side of the Ring episode is on Magnum TA, and we talked about it a week or two ago on the program when Evan Husty was with us. But that's Tuesday at ten o'clock. What is that? June four or five. Six? June six. June six. June 6th, Tuesday at 10 o'clock Eastern on Vice. I am on the, I, I suppose I am. I interviewed for it. I haven't seen the preview of this episode, but I've, I hope to be on the Magnum TA episode. And as we mentioned, when we talked to Evan, at least this one has a little bit more, you know, uplifting redemption at the end of it. And that, you know, Maggie was able to go on and, you know, overcome a lot of adversity and has had a successful life and career and et cetera. Uh, but anyway, that's, and June 6th, you know what that is the 40th anniversary of now that you've just said the, that date out loud. June 6th, 1983. Yes. Uh, you, is that when you went to Chattanooga? No. Oh, Okay. That is the well. That's the last Memphis show I made before I went to Georgia. But that is the anniversary of the Jerry Lawler Bill Dundee Loser Leave Town match in Memphis. That is oh, still to right. this date one of the five best live wrestling matches I've ever seen in my life. 
And uh, it, it was at that time the record gate for Memphis, which was $46,000 because it was sold out with the 11,300. And yes, for those doing the math, you could still get, I think the general admission tickets were still fucking either 350 or $4 at that point in time. And you could get that kind of shit every week for four or five and six bucks. So anyway, amazing anniversary. All right, we, let, we're going to move on here because I got a lot of information from the listeners because I actually had the chance to try to baffle and befuddle my way through a bunch of emails and catch up on some of those. Not all, so don't everybody get your hopes up. But we got to hear from some of the listeners because I've been backed up over the last... You know I've been backed up over the last few weeks, constipated even, on these emails. I've mentioned this to you, Brian. You have, yes. Well, now we're going to let it all out in one big squirt uh, with Reggie's Corner leading the way. Um, <clears throat> and, and again, no, real briefly, I've all of these folks have written you know, heartfelt emails, and I'd like to read them, but then everybody would feel like they just watched two hours of AEW. The depression would sink in. So I want to recognize our listeners and their furry friends, but I'm not going to go into too much heart-wrenching detail. But I do want to, Daryl from Newcastle, Oklahoma. I didn't know there was a Newcastle in Oklahoma, but he lost his 13-year-old Boston Terrier guy who was his best friend and apparently maybe was pulled from his mother too young. So he had attached a guy as his mother and followed him everywhere. And after 13 years of that, I mean, he's just, he's broken up. So Daryl, we sorry for your loss there. And as well, Grant and Larissa from Brisbane, Australia. How you like that pronunciation? Doesn't sound like I'm from Kentucky at all. Uh, they've lost Oliver, their dog, uh, 13 and a half years old. He was a Ridgeback and Bull Mastiff. And he loved to destroy squeaky toys and uh, loved ball pits. At I'm not sure what a ball pit is, but apparently they have them over in Brisbane. You don't know what a ball pit is? What is a ball pit? It's a pit, and you know they have like those. Soft... Oh come on, Dad, with a ball in it. Well, like no, not, not a ball. Wait, what's it about? It's about a guy named Carlito and the way he does things. What the fuck? Well, not a ball. At least dozens of balls, but they're like the soft balls, so you could jump in the pit and just sink into the balls and pop up and throw the balls at your friends, and it's lots of fun. I used to get whipped when I threw balls at friends. <laughs> Who whipped you? <laughs> Mama Cornette said, quit flinging those goddamn rocks and baseballs and shit at your friends. She whipped you? With a switch. Wow. For throwing rocks at your friends? Sometimes you get mad. Where was this happening? In front of your house? Various places. Sometimes it might have, if somebody said something when I was, I was a feisty little kid to me at school, I might fling something at him. And you had a good arm? Accurate? Um... Well, one time I fucking was trying to miss a guy just to scare him, but I hit him. So it actually, it's probably not a good arm then, because I didn't hit what I was going for, which was to miss him, but I beamed him right in the noggin. You hit him with a rock? Yeah, pretty big one too. But anyway, so we're moving on. We talked about Grant in Brisbane. Well, he shouldn't have said those things to me. I was minding my own business. 
All right, Jason from Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. And I only can pronounce that because I've been there. It's next to Toronto, and it's a much, it's a, actually a nice, clean suburb of Toronto. But anyway, Jason lost, and this is terrible. His puppy, Baron Sam von Spam, was two years old, but had a heart condition. Um, and they found out about it, obviously, too late. So, you know, little Baron Sam von Spam, we hate to hear about that. And Jason, and also, we have listeners in Chile, Brian. Pablo from Chile lost his dog, Pippa. Uh, her full name was Philippa Aurora. And a friend of his brother gave Pippa to them because he couldn't have her anymore, and they've had her for almost 10 years now. Every time I screamed, Gato, 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 which he, in parentheses, notes means cat, cat, cat. At little Pippa, she ran trying to chase down the cat that, of course, as Pablo says in Bulldog's voice, wasn't even there. And that was, you know, but again, a heart condition. So we're sorry to hear about Pippa. And and there uh, also most of these people have included, included, included or enclosed pictures. And these little babies are so cute. And... Also, real quickly, also, uh, Darren from County Antrim in Northern Ireland, uh, writing to tell you about our dog, uh, dog Ollie. Ollie passed away after a short illness on May 18th, just two days short of his 10th birthday. He was a schnauzer, and uh, his wife, April, well, not Ollie's wife, April, but Darren's wife, April. I'm not sure if Ollie was married, uh, but April and Darren, uh, both loved him, and he lay at Darren's feet while he was listening to our podcast, Brian. So he was a, a cult member in heart. So it's your fault. Oh, come on. Just the sound of my voice can't do damage to anybody, or elsewise I would have been calling shit staying on the phone twice a day for the last 10 years. And finally, from Dan, and where is Dan from? Did Dan say where Dan's from? Dan is from <laughs> Dan is from Uckfield, East Sussex, in England. So, goddamn it, there's got to be something we can do with Uckfield, East Sussex. There's there's sex in that. There's there's a there's fuck in that. If you rearrange the letters, we'll get back to you on it. But Dan from Uckfield. Hi, Jim and Brian. I would like to make a request to have my story on Reggie's Corner for my 12-year-old tortoise Speedy who failed to come out of hibernation this year. That's a sad thing. What do you think about naming tortoises Speedy? Well, now, hold on here. There's, Unless there's you got more... like the Bye Bye Birdie thing where they're drinking a concoction and then they go real fast. Well, there's, there's more to come here on the, the meaning of this name. We gave her a lovely burial in her favorite plot of the garden under her house. My five-year-old daughter cried the whole day as she loved Speedy to bits. For animals with reputations for being slow, Speedy was far from it, regularly being seen doing laps of our garden. I don't know how big Dan's garden is or how much time he has to watch that tortoise make laps around that garden, but he's done it. 
Anyway, here's the here's the point of this thing is now not as all going as as you would imagine it would, Brian. There's a twist to come in this. They've just given the the tortoise the burial. Didn't come out of hibernation, right? Three days later, we receive a message from my neighbor asking if our other tortoise had escaped as her son had found one by their back gate. She then sent a picture, and to our surprise, the tortoise they'd found was speedy. There was absolutely no doubt that when we buried her, she had definitely died. Look at her, Polly, well, she's dead. Well, there was no dead doubt when they buried her that she was dead. That's a good first start. Yes. So my first thought was, as anyone would think, zombie tortoise. We checked her burial plot and nothing had been disturbed. So we went next door and sure enough, it was speedy. And sadly, she was still clearly dead. It was only. What is the story? Clearly dead. <laughs> I'm telling you, the bird is dead. It's clearly Polly is dead. So they exhumed Speedy to confirm. No, they checked the burial plot and nothing had been disturbed. But yet they're Speedy. Still inexplicably dead. It was only. When we popped to the carport of our neighbor, see, I've got to do, when you read something like that, I've got to do the accent. When we popped to the carport of our neighbor, on the other side, the thing started to make sense. There was evidence that a fox had been digging in their carport, which sits about three feet lower than our garden, and had dug her out from the side. We have since reburied her in an area that foxes won't be able to get at. What the fuck? It, it almost felt fitting that even in death, Speedy couldn't be kept in one place. All you needed, was, all you needed was a kangaroo. This is such an Australian story. <laughs> no, this, no, this is not Australian. I mean, so pay this? attention, this is Uckfield. Oh, in England, that's right. Uckfield, East Sussex. What I meant was, fuck Australia. No, I can't. Well, but now, see, now, would that would that would make you want to move out of your house if the fucking shit you buried was popping back up, but wasn't even coming out the top of the grave? How you know that's a so we do indeed give all kinds of condolences or grievances or whatever. To Why isn't fox-driven tortoise theft a bigger story? Why aren't we talking about this? Well. You know, you don't know whether you you can't trust. That's why they call them sly as a fox, because you can't trust the foxes. And we know from from my experiences sly here at the castle, you can't trust the raccoons. Sly think, as a fox or sly as a mox? Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. He's got bags under his eyes like a raccoon. Anyway, speaking of bags, what a perfect transition to our pal Jeremy Bagley. That's not a good transition at all. Ba well, he's, he's bag. He's got bag in the name. Is that the end of Reggie's corner? That well, yes, yes. Right. We're we're still doing emails from the viewers and the listeners, but the animal husbandry portion has ceased. Is that important to I don't, you? I don't believe there were any wedding announcements in this week's Reggie's Corner, but I'm just noting the official end of Reggie's Corner. All right. Well, we, we still haven't determined whether or not Ollie was, was married, whether he leaves a widow behind. So I'll check back with you on that if you're keeping notes. But um, 
Jeremy Bagley. Uh, we have mentioned jacked up Jeremy many times. He uh, chips in on all of the fundraisers or joins in on all the fundraisers that we do. And he's been a friend to the Midnight Express and and done fundraisers for Dennis Condry and Teresa, et cetera, et cetera. In, in their behalf, I mean, not giving them money, but in their behalf for Dennis beating cancer. And anyway, he uh, we said a few months ago on the program that his dad had been going through a bout of ill health and, and we wished him well and hoped he felt better and he was nipping up and because I forget how old uh, Jeremy's dad is, but he's in his 80s, but he's a feisty old fella. And anyway, Jeremy sent this email that I wanted to read to everybody because a lot of people in the cult at the time had sent the well wishes and everything. And, and Jeremy interacts with everybody on Facebook. So at any rate, um, dear Jim and Brian, I wanted to reach out to you both and let you know that one of your biggest fans and one of the most unsavory members of the cult of Cornette is getting ready to be one with the universe. My father, Mr. James Glenn Bagley of Hornell, New York, could not be a better role model. While he was never a rich man, he was hell of a saver of money and in turn had the ability to give where others did and would not. If he had something and someone needed it, they didn't need for long. He's absolutely the most kind and generous person per net worth ever. Everything I am as a man is because he was the perfect example of how to be a good one. Be tough, be fair, never punch down, and always do the right thing, no matter if anyone is watching. While his organs are starting to fail him, his sense of humor and generosity have not, he still is the funniest person I know. Thank you for making his remaining weeks and years before this times of laughter, great memories, and wonderful stories. Thank you to the cult, to Stacy Cornett and the Condries for their kind words and support as we hope to make the time we are blessed to have with him some of the best he's ever had. And Jeremy, we appreciate you writing that on behalf of everybody in the cult. We certainly hope that everything that goes forward from here on out are the best times you've ever had with your dad. All right, and more emails real quickly from uh, a couple of discussion topics here from listeners. But first, uh, R.C. from Gresham, Oregon, had written in, a while back and talked about his weight loss and how well it was going. Well, he wrote in again, thank you so much for acknowledging my last email truly made my day better. I wanted to update you and let you know that I've officially lost 200 pounds. I'm half the man that I used to be. And he sent pictures and he is indeed, but I can't figure out how he lost 200 pounds, started out at six feet tall. And now he's only three feet. Oh, stop it. But congratulations, R.C., on the 200-pound weight loss. Congratulations. That's tremendous. All right. Now, here's something you might have to earn your fucking money for once over there, Brian, and Google-fy some shit, because I refuse to believe what I'm hearing, even though they sent documentation in the form of a printout of the ticketing maps and information and et cetera. But this is from Dickie. Oh, maybe that's his last name. There's a comma. Well, it's from, from old Dickie. And he says, uh, I was listening to you discuss the low ticket sales for AEW Collision in Canada. I thought I could take my family, you know, maybe help out this situation. But he says, I was blown away by the prices. And he has sent what apparently, and this is what I want you to Google. 
try to buy a ticket for any, I guess any of the shows. Oh, God damn it. I don't have both pages printed out here, but this may be the Hamilton, Ontario. But regardless, look up buying a ticket for one of these AEW collision shows in Canada. This says they're a hundred and $94 and 75 cents a piece. And this is not even ringside. It's the attached picture. He says is the price for the bowl floor prices are the same for some reason. And there was like multiple pages of printouts of the maps. But the point is what they're doing is they're apparently charging the same amount for the, he calls it the bowl, the, the start of the permanent seating in an arena where it's usually reserved the stands, if you will. And then ringsides in front of that in the middle of the ring, the price is the same for ringside and for up in the, up in the stands, but a hundred cause it's hold on here. This breakdown. Jesus used to be easier to buy tickets. Just walk up to the window and say, here's my $10. It's $165 Canadian for the ticket and then $29.75 Canadian for the fees and taxes. Can this be possible? I just sent you a link to open up because you'll be able to hover over it and see the prices available. Oh, this is from... So I've got to participate in this now, too. You do need to participate. It's not like an article I could just read. So and by the way, let me say that that Dickey goes on to say um, the top level isn't available. <laughs> they don't have it on sale if he wanted to get like a really cheap seat way up. But he says, if I wanted to go with my family with the service fees, it's over $900. Okay, and here's your link that I'll hover yeah. over, as they say. And I sent you something, and I'm on the official Ticketmaster site, so... The cheapest seats available appear to be, in Canadian dollars, $48.80. That's including fees and taxes. Well, now, he's supposedly... Well, maybe, okay, this is not Hamilton, then, because he's in 119. I saw a different layout. All right, so that's Toronto, maybe. Is it Toronto? But the... Wait a minute. While we're on Hamilton, the tickets go up to $325. For the second row. And am I led to believe that this means there are only two tickets available in that row? Or is that what that means? Which row are you in? All the way down to the bottom where it has the ticket prices on the left-hand side. They start at $46. That's wait the a cheapest, minute. yes. But wait a minute. For row five. For row, row five through row 11 of ringside and the map, wait a minute, floor five, no, floor five, row 11. <laughs> so the fifth section of ringside seats, which now is here, see, you have to go to the color-coded map, but if you move your little fucking finger, I'd like to give this whole thing the goddamn finger, but if you move your little finger on your screen over to five, then it, it goes pink. And it says from $46. But now, according to what I'm looking at here, it says over on the left, in floor section 5, row 11, there's two tickets that are $46 each. But 
in floor five, same section, row 16, which would be five rows farther back, it says one to six tickets, and they're $51 each. Probably because you have more of a choice in the seat. God damn, how much fucking different choice? Well, front row's front row still available. They have up to six tickets available at $219 a pop in floor five, row one. Well, yes, but okay. Oh, and another eight tickets available for $210 in floor five, row one. But here's the thing. While it says that in section five, row one, there are one to eight tickets at $210 and one to six tickets at $219, in row two of floor section three, which is actually a smaller section and closer to the ring on this map, but in the second row, they're $325 a piece. So the front row tickets are over $100 cheaper than the second row tickets, depending on which section of ringside you're in. Could that be though they're in, in diving range? Like if you... <laughs> Went to a Gallagher concert and got splashed with the watermelon. Is this where you might get kicked in the face by some idiot doing a fucking topi con gyro? So these prices are all over the place. The point is, am I way too old? And both of these things may be true. Am I way too old or, Brian, even a young, vibrant man like yourself remembers when, okay, ringside costs such and such and reserve seats cost such and such and general admission cost whatever now they've got different prices for every row and different rows and different sections and i also just sent you an email with the toronto prices so you can open that up but you know this is not just an AEW thing this is a entertainment business sports a lot of families have been priced out of a lot of things you can't go to a baseball game with a family of five and spend a hundred dollars you're gonna spend five hundred dollars to do that Okay, here you the Toronto. This is the map that he sent me here. Because uh, I'm looking at this now. And yes, he was trying to get in section 119, which is up in the stands, not even on the floor. And they are from $166. Because for some reason, these tickets have been labeled, am I seeing Platinum Lounge? North? There's a Platinum Lounge South, but that doesn't seem to be available because that's going to be the hard camera side. How big is this fucking building? What is go? Is that all of the tickets that they have or the seats they have opened up for this thing in this map? The only There's only like one, two, three, four, five, six, six section in the stands and the floor that, that you can hover over, and it does anything. Is the whole rest of the building shut off? I think, but then again, I also was under the impression the entire upper bowl was closed off, and according to this, there were two sections open. They, that must be for the homeless people from $77. No, wait! No, that must be something else. What are these prices? Hold on. You can get in one section in the upper stratosphere of this building... Section 322 from $77, and over on the other side, you can get in one section, 310, it's in the same place, just on the other side, it's a hundred. It's $106 from. But if you 
go through all these different fucking price levels of all these different sections and rows. And I mean, there's got to be 40 or no, I'm still going easily 40 different price tiers. The top one is $661 row one on the floor North. But in the, in, in, when you hover over that section, it says from 226. And it just, and there's another, uh, no floor, floor North row one, two to four tickets, 661. Is this a package of tickets? How is this happening? What's going on here? I am not. No, that's $661 each for those tickets. Jeez, it does have an EA each. Yeah. Then why is row one in the same section 571 and also 443? And why is row one in the south section 409? What the fuck is going on here? Well, again, I don't know if these are tickets directly from... AEW or Ticketmaster, or these are through a third party who bought these seats, thinking it'll be a hot ticket. Vivid seats. Well, I mean, what, didn't you send this to me from goddamn AEW.com? No, I didn't go what to AEW. I didn't go to AEW.com. What are on. you trying to? I, I need Soup My Express VPN up if if you're sending me this fucking bootleg shit. It, this these may come with dead bodies in the trunk of a car. Where's the official place? It says vividseats.com, AEW Collision Ticket Scotiabank Arena. But obviously, they're, this is some scam they're perpetrating. AEW can't possibly expect to charge $600 for a ringside ticket. Certainly not. I'm on the official Ticketmaster website, so give me a section. I'll tell you what's available here. Well, start with the fucking floor. Floor North. Floor North, nothing available on Ticketmaster. So those are all from a third party. So what moron is going to pay over $600 for a fucking ticket that they, what did they sell it for? Are the ticket price is still listed? It does not still have that ticket price listed. If I go to Northwest, there's nothing. And I'm trying to see where there's a front row seat available. Nothing front row is available. So AEW, they have sold all of the floor seats, I'm sure. It's Toronto, no. for fuck's sake. No, there are still floor seats available, just not first row. Well, what's what What do they charge for the floor? Uh, let me go here. The fuck's going on with this website? My apologies to the listeners. This God, it's sucks. so difficult to fucking buy tickets to wrestling shows. The, again! You know what? When I got tickets to Indianapolis when I was a kid, my mom agreed to take me to see Bruiser and Crusher at the Expo Center in Indianapolis. All we had to do, as Sam Miniker told us every Saturday night on TV, if we couldn't go to the Expo Center box office in person, just send $4 for each ticket that you'd like to any Ross and Babcock or Ross and Young store. They were men's clothing with a self-addressed stamped envelope and they would send you back your tickets and we got them in the mail, didn't have to leave the house. Only took like fucking two weeks. Well, for instance, floor East 1, which is opposite the ramp, the closest available ticket, there is one seat available, row 4, seat 6, $289.25. Jesus Christ, okay, wait a minute. Maybe they're part of the scam because... <laughs> Old Vivid Seats has seats in that section from $240. So they're 
selling them cheaper than AEW did. What the flying French fried titty fuck is going on here? Who are they appealing to? The opera crowd? Are they, is there a Mensa convention in town or a, a, a meeting of industrial giants that multimillionaires that are going to go to this fucking show and pay hundreds of dollars for tickets to see something that's going to be on free television? What do you do, though, if you're AEW? If you know you do have a fan base that, again, I'm not saying it's selling out the building or anything, but you do have a fan base that will pay a high ticket price to come there for the six hours of TV taping or whatever it is that is dynamite. On the other hand, if you lower the ticket prices, maybe, it's not a guarantee, maybe you get more families and more people coming in, but maybe the same people that would have paid $260 for one of these seats is now paying $50. What do you do? And might bring three more people instead of fucking... They all, the, the whole family breaks open all their piggy banks to send little junior dipshit to the matches for his birthday. He can go, he'll go alone and he's only nine, so we'll probably never see him again, but we can't afford to go in with him. Uh, what, ignoring the fact this is not dynamite, this is collision. Oh, that's so, right. That's right. That's but again, ignoring the fact that this is an, an unproven commodity, a brand new show and an oddly launched rolled out promoted event where well we're you know we announced the new show and yeah it's going to be there but who's going to be on it well a bunch of wonderful names that we haven't been using at all and we didn't have our big star on it now the big star's been announced but at this point and you know they're running low on time in in chicago to begin with especially but so ignoring the fact that this has been a rocky road of rollout for collision and people don't really know what they're going to be seeing or who all they're going to be seeing past now punk and some stragglers in the, in the days when not just territory days, but up until the modern generation, when you only, when any promotion, even the major promotions like the WWE, can't run a big building in a market more than once or twice a year, then maybe, you know, that's led to the increase in prices because it becomes a special event and the people that are really dedicated will go and pay that. Whereas the previous economics in wrestling, the territory days, yes, the prices were cheap. They were very cheap. Although if you look at a $5 general admission ticket 50 years ago, that would be what, somewhere around 30 or $40 now for general admission? You know, so it's, it's not that ridiculous. But those promotions were going for people to spend that amount of money every week or every two weeks or once a month in the major cities. It was, you know, 7 or $8. And they did, thousands of them. They, the, promote, the territories promotions relied on a steady stream of thousands of people in their markets on a regular basis spending that money and they couldn't overprice the tickets or then they'd fuck themselves. And in the long run, that's why you you had million-dollar towns that grossed, you know, a million dollars a year on fucking wrestling. And it didn't just have to be New York and Chicago, Memphis, Atlanta, Tampa, wherever the fuck it was. So. That was one thing. Then later on, still in the modern era, 
the Attitude Era was the prices were higher than they'd ever been, but they weren't anywhere close to this. And the buildings were selling out because the product was hot and they were also selling merchandise. If you make the wrestling tickets like a Fabergé egg, then yes, the most devoted fans, because you're only running, you know, once a year now and build in Tony, I think is pressing it, maybe going back twice a year, some places or whatever, but, you can get the most devoted fans to pay that much money because it's only a once a year thing. But at the same time, then how much can anybody spend these days in terms of they got to park in the, and, and they've got to fucking drink something. A hot dog is what? $8 these days. And, and you want them to buy your merchandise, but I've heard that the merchandise at AEW events is limited and, really nothing to write home about as far as the display or the variety or whatever. But the theory used to be, let's hit the sweet spot. The people that want to be on the floor and want to be ringside, they'll pay the money. And that's where the WWE came up with the collectible take-home chairs for the pay-per-views. And that was the thing about that. An Attitude Era pay-per-view, front row seat, was like $200 to see Austin and The Rock, and you got to take the fucking chair home. The only thing you'll have to take home after this is fucking gas and a sore ass. Uh, but that's the thing. You hit the sweet spots. People who want to be on the floor will pay whatever and have a general admission ticket where the people that just want to be in there can do it with their wife or a couple kids or they just don't have a lot of money. And then they'll do business with the building in terms of the concessions, the food and the drink, and they'll buy some merchandise. But if you're just trying to fucking hold them over an open flame like this, my God, how, you know, this guy, uh, Dickie, $900 to take the fucking family to see this. And it's going to be on television. I, I repeat again. So I, I don't see the, I don't know. And in the long term, you know, you can never figure these things out, but you wonder how this does change the ecosystem. If a family, if a father can't bring his kids, forget about his wife even, because I don't know how many yeah. fathers brought their wives back in the days, but... Actually, father... actually, yes, there were a multiple percentage of married couples, but go ahead. Lots of single men in Madison Square Garden, but... If a, Lots of single men in New York City, but go ahead. If a father brings his kids potentially you create a new fan for the yeah. future. So, you know, when I say you think about the ecosystem and how it affects stuff, a kid comes in there, it's like the first time you go to a baseball game and you see the, you see the field. I mean, when you talk, people used to only see the game in black and white. The first time you see the field in color, it's something. I can still get goosebumps on my arms when I think about the first time I walked into the Louisville Gardens and saw a wrestling ring in person. So imagine, you know, you're a dad and you want to go see AEW and you want to bring, let's say, a couple of your kids. And that's the first time they're exposed to live wrestling. It's the first time they buy a T-shirt. They see some wrestler and it becomes their favorite wrestler for the next 10 years. That's what you want to create because that's how you create more audience. But on the other hand, those tickets can remain empty for now. But if someone buys them, they'll pay the same price than that whole family would have if they were relatively fairly priced. Well, and you got to think also, is a father with kids going to want to go to AEW since that means he's had some type of sexual relations with somebody and he may have 
matured out of the AEW core fan base. But I nevertheless, I hadn't even thought about that aspect. Yeah, there of you here. go. <laughs> um, but again, my God, this is more expensive than the WWF, right? How much were tickets it, for the first show you went to in Louisville? Uh, ringside, ringside, everything on the floor. Whatever was on the floor was considered ringside. Four dollars reserved, which was the first half of the stands in the gardens. Three fifty and general admission three dollars. Okay, all things are not equal here, and I don't have an inflation calculator. But if ringside then had been thirty five dollars, would your mom have taken you as easily as she did, thinking that it's just gonna be a four dollar ticket? Oh, good God, no! Could uh, thing it nothing cost thirty five dollars to go see at that point? I saw Earth, Wind, and Fire in the same building for seven dollars. For, and, and that was uh, five years after my first wrestling show. But no, um, well, think $35 in 1974, that would be the equivalent of like 200 and something bucks today, right? So not and, crazy considering the AEW ticket prices. But no, my mother spend $200 on a, on a she wouldn't spend $200 on a ticket on the space shuttle to get off the fucking planet if the sun was crashing into the earth see then you look at it the other way i talk about a dad bringing his kids i was a kid who wanted to go my dad didn't like wrestling i had to convince my dad to take me to wrestling when i first started going so if there are kids out there dad i really want to go to wrestling again i don't know how many kids are watching AEW that way but across the board any wrestling I want to go to wrestling, and the dad says, okay, this guy's a guy with a job, this guy has bills to pay, and he goes to see that it's more than his cable bill to go one night with his kid to see wrestling, which he's not even interested in, it may dissuade that person from doing it. Exactly. Because, uh, again, if they're not, and I mean, if these buildings are all full when these tapings happen, and I'm not talking about full for what they've got opened up, I'm talking about the buildings full, then we're obviously wrong and fucked up. But if there's a lot of room left in those buildings, maybe some people might come if they could get in for less than their monthly fucking rent. And I know that's Canadian money. But uh, again, look at something in here before we finish this segment and move on. Look for something in... What's the tickets in the United Center? In Chicago, they got an NBA arena to fill. Well, let me not look at that one, because that's not fair, because that's CM Punk's return. Let me look at Newark. Okay, well, I'm just going to say... But here's the thing. If they don't... If they got an NBA arena to fill up, and they got CM Punk in the main event, they've proven they can do it. But what were the tickets then, I wonder? Look at Newark if you want to. You're just you're just New Jersey centered. You think New Jersey's the center of the world? No, New York's the center of the world, but it doesn't matter. I'm not going. Uh, again, there are limited seats available on Ticketmaster, but if I go to this Vivid Seats, let's see. Well, now wait a minute. Let's go back to the AEW. What is AEW authorizing these to be sold for? I don't want to know what some scam artist, what some grifter, what some con man, what some shady shyster in the back alley somewhere in the shadows Holy is pulling shit. out from under his his raincoat and trying to pawn off on people what is aew trying to pull out from under their raincoat hold on one second let me just okay first row's gone second row 
I have second row ringside for AEW in Newark, opposite the camera. What's the date on this? This is July 22nd at 6 p.m. And you could sit in a second row seat opposite the camera for $611.75. Jesus Christ, what a cracker! Plus fees. Plus fees. Did that come with a fucking rape kit from the local police department? It does not say that here, but maybe they are, are open for suggestions. I would hope they wouldn't have to pay for that, too. What? And obviously, there's still some of those available. <laughs> there's four of those available on the official site. Now, if I go to the unofficial tickets... Can, can you, you've been a, a, a resident of that area of the country for quite some time, all your life. Yes. You can get a fucking hit put out on somebody in Newark for $600, can't you? I, I can't discuss anything. I don't, I, I, I wouldn't. If, if, I, just I, if you were a betting <laughs> man, if you were a betting man with no personal knowledge. That sounds like Hollywood kind of stuff. I wouldn't know anything about that. Oh, kind of come on. Well, on the unofficial sites. Well, I had a guy take me up on it one time, but fucking Russo's car pulled out of the parking lot. So go ahead. Well, <laughs> uh, on the unofficial site, that section, the same section I saw before, you can get tickets from $253 to $3,966 for a second row. $3,966 each. For Floor J, Row 2, opposite camera in Newark. <sighs> Who's paying so, $4,000 for a ticket for AEW no, Collision? Okay, now, that's the thing. Is this a situation, now that we know this, somebody's got to tell us. Somebody, you, we get plenty of first-person accounts. Somebody send this in for us. Is it just a deal where the people are buying general admission tickets because these seat Dealers, uh, ticket brokers, whatever their term is, have these tickets and they're trying to this ridiculous amount of money for them. And if they don't sell, people are just moving into those empty seats on the floor. Is that because that's been a thing in wrestling for a long time? You wait until 10 minutes after the fucking bell rings for the first match in the old days, and the general admission people would start filtering down to ringside, sitting in the goddamn seats that weren't taken if they didn't have strict ushers. Is that what's happening? Because nobody, I mean, is there an AEW fan out there that thinks that you ought to pay $4,000 for a fucking second row ticket to a TV taping? I can't imagine. I mean, I'm looking at these prices and it's kind of mind boggling. Some of these, if you go to section nine, the tickets range from $149 each to $256 each. Remember when we were talking about the ridiculous ticket prices they had for their spot shows in Corbin and Salem, Virginia, where we said, who in those markets is going to pay $75 to see FTR against Frick and Frack or whatever in the main event and a cast of others? Many others was the biggest name on the card. And we were laughing because those were like $75. This is... could Can you not go to see, like, goddamn... Madonna for four thousand dollars. 
Well, I don't know if she's the one you'd want to go see, but... Well, I'm just saying, I'm trying to think of some exorbitant, self-absorbed douchebag that would charge a fortune to get into her fucking shows. Well, Springsteen jacked up his prices notoriously Are you calling Bruce Springsteen a self-absorbed douchebag? And you being from New Jersey? I'm not from New Jersey. I'm from the South Shore of Long Island. Well, you, you own it now, pal. You've got a significant portion of real estate up there now. But I'm not near Thrill Hill or wherever the fuck Springsteen is. And yeah, he's kind of a pretentious fake so i really don't give a shit about bruce springsteen all right well people give us some reports on these ticket prices if you go to these events or things that are happening um but anyway i, I, I an email from the mole master the mole master hi jim and brian this is a topic that we talked about recently when they were in hershey pennsylvania and I said, my God, was that the Hershey Park Arena? I, Davey Boy hated that fucking building. And he went, oh, we're in fucking Hershey Park. Fucking Hershey Park. I can hear that in my sleep practically. Just the, the things that he's, fucking Hershey Park. And I mentioned that the arena was old and broken down in the 90s and the dressing rooms were cramped and it was hot and humid in there and the whole nine yards. I said, I wonder, because they were jammed in there and they had a big set. I said, it can't be the same place, right? Anyway, update on that. Hi, Jim and Brian. After hearing your latest drive-through, I wanted to give you both an update on the current status of the beleaguered Hershey Park Arena from someone that lives right near Hershey. The arena still exists and, and still is in use today. However, the arena used for the recent Raw show was the Giant Center. The Giant Center opened in 2002 and gets a lot of the concerts and other events like the Globetrotters or WWE that come to the area. It was built to give the Hershey Bears hockey team, the oldest team in the AHL, a new modern home with a larger capacity. Wikipedia says 10500 for hockey. The old arena, however is still used for various things like public ice skating, youth hockey, and local school events. <laughs> so you can maybe still graduate in the same place that Bruno Sammartino once got juice for Crusher Verdue or whatever. But uh, parts of the arena are used for various functions of Hershey Park, like offices and storage. I got to walk through the arena not long ago and it really felt like I walked through a time machine. I don't know the last time anything ever changed in there, but it feels like going way back into the mid-20th century. I couldn't have put it better myself. And you know what? That We're losing a lot of the, the old-time wrestling buildings to where when people go in these new modern arenas, you can't feel how it used to look, right? When When... When you walked into the Louisville Gardens, which was, was the Armory or the Coliseum in Evansville or some of the old buildings in the Carolinas, you could feel, you know, Gorgeous George and or Jim Londos and or, in the case of the Louisville Gardens, Strangler fucking Lewis, for fuck's sake. But uh, now everything looks like Chuck E. Cheese. Anyway, uh, another Hershey email. And Brian, this one... Bears out a lot of the things we've been saying, but from a first-person perspective, um, because this was the Hershey, Pennsylvania, Monday Night Raw. This is from M from Reading. And he says, a friend and I attended Monday Night Raw in Hershey, Pennsylvania last night. This was a couple weeks ago. 
The building was absolutely packed. The crowd was hot from the beginning of the preliminaries at 7.30 p.m. But we were ground down gradually over the next couple of hours to the point that it was unbearable by 9.30 or so. The matches were mostly pretty decent to watch live, but as you know, the actual matches probably comprised less than one-fifth of the show. And remember now, the live crowd, at least they get to see the matches that we are in break on, right? So they see more wrestling than the TV audience does. The rest of the time, we were subjected to endless promos, WWE propaganda, annoying fan cams, numerous flashback moments, or other segments featuring great moments of the stars of old and commercials for WrestleMania 39, which happened over a month ago. So they were still showing the WrestleMania plugs in May in the buildings. Um, May? That's what he said. Anyway, uh, maybe the replay on Peacock, continue to watch it, pump the numbers up. We got stock to sell. I don't know. So the women's segments seem to never end. I couldn't even escape to smoke a cigarette during said segments as the venue forbids it. The crowd noise sweetening was blatantly obvious during these segments, by the way, reaching its pinnacle during the Trish and Becky contract signing. The six-man tag with Zane Owens and Riddle and the Imperium did play well in the house and did allow them to save face a bit with a crowd that had obviously lost interest. But after the match during the Triple H Cody segment, the six-man tag participants just kind of stood around and waited for it to be over. And then they brought either Kaiser Wilhelm or Leonardo da Vinci, I forget which, back down to the ring so Owens could put them through a table. And that was the end of the show. I definitely got a lot for my money, but not really anything I was looking for. I can't believe they put on these shows and think they're any good or what people want to see. P.S. Kaiser was crouched down behind Imperium's corner during the chaos close to the finish, clearly watching and waiting for his spot. Live Well, everyone does that. That's well, a problem. Well, it just... Yeah. <sighs> anyway, so that's bringing us up to date in the world of our readers. Except I got one more. Oh, and this brings it... Well, no, this, this is a very kind email from a female listener, Brian. We got to encourage that. They could multiply. We could end up with four or five of them. Uh, but Trish said, hi, Jim. Tr- Trish is from, doesn't say. Hi, Jim. I'm so happy with the pink and black action figure I ordered. I wanted to write to also express the perfect timing with which it arrived. It arrived on June 1st, two days after the funeral of my aunt who worked as a tireless advocate for breast cancer survivors and her daughter, my cousin, passed away eight years ago because of breast cancer. My cousin's birthday is in June. So the arrival of the figure made my day and brought a smile to my face. And Trish, thank you for that because thank you, everybody. I do not have an official number yet because the it's only June fucking 3rd and the feather bottoms are still blown up. But um, I believe we raised about another $1,000 for breast cancer uh, over the month of May with the Breast Cancer Pink Action Figure Sale at JimCornette.com from Cornette's Collectibles to go along with the $6,900 we raised in April. And we still got a couple hundred of them available. And we got big things going on this summer. So I need room in the garage. So for 
for everybody's sake. Hop on the breast cancer action figures at jimcornette.com right now. We are caught up and no waiting, along with uh, Inside the Ropes magazines. We've got about 200 of those left. The Inside the Ropes DVDs of myself and JR over in London in 2016. Cult of Cornette membership certificates, your favorite t-shirts, and so much more at jimcornette.com. Order with uh, complete impunity. And you won't have to wait too long. You know what we've waited for for 30 years, though, Brian? The Mets to win another World Series? I don't know. I don't know if they ever have or when the last time they did it was. And don't really care. They did it twice, 1986 and 1969. Yeah, well, they can shove them both up their ass. Because what I'm talking about... Hey. Hey. I'm talking about vindication. I am talking about a long rumored, surreptitious lie that has been brought to rest now, has been laid to rest, brought to heel, and you know who the biggest spreader of this vicious, gossipy lie was over the last couple of years? Our friend, your friend and his, Yenta Bixenspan, Proven to be as full of shit as a Christmas turkey again, along with everybody else. Did you hear the big news, Brian, about the DNA test that's been performed by Congresswoman Lauren Bubert and Bobert. my old friend, well, whichever, and my old friend and colleague, Sweet Stan Lane. And because, remember we talked about this on a program a couple of years ago, when this lunatic started running for office and was elected by the rest of the people who enjoy that type of thing and support women like this who have husbands who met them by exposing their little weenies to the aforesaid woman in a, a fucking bowling alley when she was underage but nevertheless the rumor has been going around and it was the flames were fanned by the yenta old Styles Bitchley, that Stan Lane was Lauren Boebert's father. Because... You say as, rumors. I mean, there were articles written. <laughs> yes, there were, but they were all rumors because there was never a fact to it, and it was proven this way 30 years ago, and you and me are the only ones that said it. Everybody else's shows were like, oh, well, you know, I could be. You know, you never know what happened. No, I, I was there. I was there. It wasn't Owen. It was me. I was there in the car when he got the original test 30 years ago. Just like I've lived through the whole thing and I told you it's bullshit. And old, old Bitchley wrote a big article and, and, and people picked up on it and it was going around everywhere the last election cycle and other people had written articles saying this from Lauren Bubert's own mother who was fanning this up on Facebook a number of years ago, that Stan had paid the fucking testing people off. And he was really the father, but because of all this, this cloud of doubt around the testing people and that he had obviously done something improper and Yenta took that and ran with it and tried to create a story around it. And it was bullshit. And we said it's bullshit. Well, guess what? It's bullshit. Because as of, well, wait, let me read this. Mike Johnson has this up on pwinsider.com. 
But um, basically, Sal Carrenti, who's a longtime friend of Stan's, anything that's related to wrestling anymore, Stan goes through Sal because Stan doesn't know what the fuck's going on in the wrestling business. Because Stan doesn't want to know, particularly. Because Stan's retired. Stan's 70 fucking years old, right? And he just... Stan is not a guy who tries to go out and still dress in gimmick and want everybody to know who he is. He's not the gangster of love anymore. He's been married for, I don't know, what's it been, 15 years or more. And he is just trying to be a private citizen. And Brian, think about this. It, what was it? About 10 or 12 years ago, the guy died, impersonated him in Memphis and died and Stan Lane's obituary was in the Memphis newspapers. And everybody called him and to the point where since then he's had to change all of his phone numbers because so many people called him to ask him about him dying. And the the woman's family, the guy's widow, didn't want to pop her bubble to the point where they actually had a display of, of fabulous ones pictures at the guy's funeral. So already poor Stan trying to stay out of the way, mind his own business. He's been impersonated in death and killed off. And now, for however many years, it's been going around that he is the reason why this lunatic exists on this planet. And as I had mentioned, we've told the story a number of times. Lauren Boebert's mother was a rat in Florida that had dalliances with whoever. And in those days, it was not uncommon for when one of the girls got pregnant, she would pick whichever guy was on top or in the best spot or looked like he's making the most money or on TV the most or whatever and try to stick him with it. And Stan was dodging the state of Florida for that very reason for a couple years there in the NWA days, but finally got served with the papers and took the test and i was in the car the day that he had gotten the results and he's not even close and he was all relieved because he didn't think it was but you know anything can happen and with these lunatics trying to track everybody down and get money out of them because that's what this was he was very nervous so fast forward 30 years and this doesn't go away and the yenta is the one of the ones, the primary ones, for digging it up. And, you know, because he whores his effluvia that he writes out to these various sordid, muckraking websites. So anyway, finally, Stan felt there needed to be something done, and apparently so did Lauren Bubert, because she cooperated with it on her end. I guess they... I'm sure there's some of her DNA at various parts of all over Colorado, but we wanted an official, you know, clean set, or at least as clean as it could be coming from her. And there's even a picture of her on in this article on PWInsider.com where she's, it looks like she always does, the fake smile, the makeup smeared on her face with a fucking concrete trowel and trying to, you know, look human. But Stan had a, a statement that they released to PW Insider and other outlets for that matter. My name is Stan Lane. I've had two professional careers, one in the world of professional wrestling and the other as an announcer for many years in powerboat racing. Early in my wrestling career, while I was living in Florida and working for Championship Wrestling from Florida, 
I received notice that a woman I had a short affair with was accusing me of fathering her child. We went through the legal system and completed a court-ordered paternity test, and I was declared not to be the father, and the case was dismissed. In spite of the court verdict, the mother of the child, who turned out to be Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, has continued to stick to her original claim. I agreed to take another DNA paternity test with Lauren Boebert in May 2023. I allowed Lauren to handle the chain of custody for the samples to alleviate any doubt with the results. The results came back on May 11, 2023. They were conclusive that I had a 0.0 chance of being the biological father of Lauren Boebert. And once we both reviewed the results, Lauren and I agreed this matter is settled, and I accepted Lauren's apology on behalf of herself and her mother after 30 years. But anyway. So you're saying it's Steve Kern. Well, now that we didn't, we didn't narrow it down yet, but Stan goes on. This situation and the numerous false claims made against me over the years has been stressful for me and my family. I feel my otherwise good reputation has been tarnished considerably. I and other close members of my inner circle have been dragged into this as well. I've also been followed by the news media so that they could get the scoop on this topic. And this is the thing. Again, Stan Free has been telling me, don't give anybody my phone number. Don't give anybody, you know, my address. And they use a post office box or whatever the fuck, because it's been ridiculous. And he says, while I was fortunate to have a career in the spotlight for 30 plus years, it's my desire to step back and enjoy my retirement with my wife. So there you go. Anyway, we've we finally put an end to this controversy that we knew that was not a controversy from 30 years ago, but nobody would listen to us again, Brian, you and me. Me about Stan, you about Yenta. You know, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I didn't think that it was possible based on the little bits of information that we had, based on the timeline. I thought it could be possible. I mean, the fabulous ones like to have fun. However, we heard about the paternity test, and then the story became that Stan used a paternity tester that had been corrupt in other things, so this automatically became corrupt. But here's the thing. That's why I knew. Because as much as he had been... We were the ones tried to hide him when he was hiding in the shower of the Charlotte Coliseum fully dressed when the process server was wandering around in the <laughs> locker room, right? We were in on it, me and Bobby. When he got the, if he had had the opportunity and, and it really was his kid and he'd had the opportunity to pay off the fucking tester to not be his kid, he wouldn't have been able to wait to get in the car and say, hey, guess what happened? Holy shit, she'll take a payoff. The fucking test. I mean, he would have spilled the beans because that would have been the greatest story in history of wrestling stories. And no, it was like when he got the test results back, he was relieved because it was in question until he got the results back. It wasn't like the fix was in and Stan wasn't that good a fucking worker to work us on that. So no, we knew it all along, but everybody continued. Remember we laughed at it. That really sucks. You know, I hadn't even thought about the idea that Stan was being followed or people were stalking his house, waiting by the mailbox, whatever it may be. You know, we all laughed about the story, talked about it a couple of years ago. I think at this point, yeah. Didn't even think about the repercussions for Stan and his family. Well, yeah, and besides, again, like I said, it's such a funny, because 
Stan does not have a morbid need to be on television anymore. Like I said, he's 70 years old. He doesn't want that much of the spotlight. And he's just trying to do his shit. And, and he's impersonated in in death by a fucking ex-truck driver from Memphis. And then he's fucking accused of being the originator of this knucklehead lunatic. So you happy with what you did here? You've eliminated one more person from the Midnight Express heritage? And one the person that could inherit yes. all this no, money? No, 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 no. Lauren Boebert was never <laughs> a member of the Midnight Express. And she can, she can be one of the fucking mid-90s WCW horsemen. They let everybody in at that point. You know, can I say one more thing, politics aside? I feel bad for her. You know, if she's been told this thing her whole life, I'm sure she probably believed it. If she's been told it by her mother her whole life, I'm sure she probably yeah. believed it. And I'm sure in doing this test, I mean, I saw the photo in the Mike Johnson article, big smile on her face. I'm sure she was hoping for a different result. I'm sure the fact that her and Stan were even talking and communicating, that's news. I'm sure she was hoping that this nice man I'm dealing with here may actually be my dad. I feel bad that it ended up being complete bullshit. You know who the heat should go on? The mom. Her mother. Yeah. And think about this. Her mother couldn't even narrow it down enough to get the right one. Well, they should have named her Target because everybody had a shot at her. But anyway, speaking of people that are just spraying their foolishness around without hitting the Target, Uncle Dave has given out his evaluation of the matches at Double or Nothing and... Everybody on the Twitter machine and everybody that's been emailing us has been literally, so what in the world has happened to him? What is, go what is this guy's issue? And laughing uproariously, and I, I just heard the main event. I don't know any of the others, but I just heard the main event. And I mean, it's so see-through at this point, but you may, it, it, do you have that in front of you, Brian, that we can go through this briefly and see where Dave's head is at. I have indeed pulled up the latest issue of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which had Dave's review of the Double or Nothing pay-per-view event. And everybody knows what we thought of most everything. But now we're going to tell you what Dave thought, and there will be no, no evidence whatsoever of hometown favoritism or... We've said, I don't think he's being paid off. I don't think he's that smart. I think he's just saying this shit because they're his friends. But uh, the the California Raisin contingent got raved over. But what, what's the whole list? Starting at the bottom, and I do mean at the bottom, what's the, uh, what's the whole list? Well, the bottom is the match you didn't see. The Hardy Party <laughs> and Hook versus Ethan Page, Austin, and Colton Gunn. A star and three quarters. Didn't Jeff Hardy just like fall off the ropes trying to do his shit in that match? Well, he tripped and fell when he was trying to do, uh, I think the, I don't know what the move is. Maybe it's the twist of fate or one of these Hardy moves. And then he also fell off the rope right after that when he ran up to the rope. But Matt Hardy's now saying it was intentional for the record. Yeah, all right. Did it look like it led to anything that would have made it called for to be intentional? No, it looked like it led to a concussion test, is what it looked like it led to. <laughs> All right. But, uh, so, so, when, so a match where people are literally falling down gets almost two stars now. The next match, Orange Cassidy winning a 21-man Blackjack Battle Royal 
to retain the international title, 22 minutes, 28 seconds. Let me make sure I got this right. Four and a, <laughs> four and a quarter stars. <laughs> so that match was better than pretty much everything Ric Flair ever did with anybody but Ricky Steamboat. It was better than Hogan versus Rock. Better than Hogan versus Rock. Uh, better than... Now, somebody, and and again, we're going to have to rely on some of the listeners to, you know, check in with us on this, but I've seen it on Twitter that apparently either Dave Meltzer has never even given Kurt Angle a five-star match. And that now apparently the, the Buckaroos and Twinkle Toes have like a dozen or whatever or more and but Kurt Angle no and no yeah so now this battle royal full of job guys doing stupid shit where they the people in the match didn't even understand what the rules were nor the announcers who were actually blatantly saying we don't know what the rules are that's better than fucking Flair and Wyndham it's better than Austin and Rock it's better than okay all right those matches may have been better if any of those wrestlers had pockets. <laughs> but Jim, we've talked in the past about the inflation rate for the Observer star ratings. How do you weigh star ratings today versus star ratings of yesterday? This next one may kind of give an answer to where to start the uh, where to start the scale from with inflation. Adam Cole defeating Chris Jericho in an unsanctioned match in 19 minutes. Okay, now we. Not only us, but most people with vision and verbal ability said, boy, that sucked. It sucked, and at times, because it was so quiet, it was cringy. Yeah. Three and a quarter stars. <laughs> All right, that used to be one step below a classic. See, that's the former the dud. Dud is now three and a quarter stars. Yeah, we mentioned that Dud was on Weasel scale. Why is Dud not a part of Dave's vocabulary anymore? He used to use it. I don't know, but the next I'm just saying again, three and a half stars on the old scale. Even the old Meltzer scale was one step below a classic. Let me tell you something. He wasn't friends with Chris Jericho. That match would be negative five stars. That was one of the worst matches ever. Everyone has said it. That was one of the worst matches ever. Chris Jericho's had bad matches. That was the worst Jericho match ever. Anyway, FTR versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal with Mark Briscoe as the referee. Four-star match. Again, even though I'm a fan of everybody involved in the thing, as a wrestling match with some twists and turns, even with the busy finish, at least they look professional. They all can grab a fucking hold without falling down and but that wasn't a four-star match because a four-star match would have been jesus christ again the midnight express and the fantastics <laughs> or the goddamn or southern boys North. match get five stars or got four no and, yeah i think it was four and again, the Andersons and the rock and roll express whatever or whatever era you want to go to of tag team wrestling that wasn't a four-star match. That was the best wrestling match on the show because it was probably the only wrestling match on the show. But it wasn't... Uh, all right. 
In a ladder match, Wardlow retained defeating Christian Cage for the TNT title. Three and three-quarter stars. <laughs> okay, Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon, I'm pretty sure, got four stars at WrestleMania. No, no, this... they got five stars. They got five stars. Wait a minute. Had he broken that scale yet? Oh, he broke that years before that. Did he did? Okay, yeah. they, so they got five. Okay, well, this one was one and a quarter star, yeah, less. Okay. Tony Storm defeated Jamie Hayter to win the AEW women's title. A star and a quarter. Well, it was four minutes and the girl was hurt, so there was nothing. Then it wasn't supposed to be a great match. It was three minutes and one second. The House of Black defeated the acclaimed and Billy Gunn. Three and a quarter stars. <clears throat> Again, just a match on the card to fill some time. And, you know, that, that used to be the two-star slot, so he's doubling at least. And that's, you know, depends on whether there's no personal friends involved or not. Jade Cargill defeated Taya Valkyrie. I'm not gonna, there's no star rating for the Statlander part, but the match with Taya Valkyrie, two and three-quarter stars. What? Jesus Christ! <laughs> Didn't we say that stunk? We did. Okay, if you went back to 1998, I guarantee you that he just gave that match a better rating than he was giving the pay-per-view matches from either company at the time involving the fucking champions. MJF defeated Sammy, Darby, and Jack. Four and three-quarter stars. Oh, good Lord. He can't, he can't legitimately, doesn't this kill the credibility of anything he's trying to do when, okay, that was a, a fine example of modern four-way gibberish, right? And MJF's great. And nobody broke anybody's leg accidentally. But you're telling me that that's almost at the level, again, of a, flare and steamboat or of a goddamn what's your greatest match of all time brian i don't know there are ones i really like and i always talk about one specific one i think i got three and three quarter stars or something piper versus bret hart at wrestlemania 8 i love that match yeah okay so uh, from any company in any era suddenly that thing with jungle boy involved was better than everything all those people have ever done Okay. Well, he has great hair. But finally, Jim, Anarchy... Well, and here we go. Here we go. Anarchy in the arena. John Moxley, Brian Danielson, Claudio Castagnoli, and Wheeler Yuta defeating Adam Page, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks. 26 minutes, 59 seconds. <laughs> Five-star match. How does he justify it? Well, they have a great fucking hair. a fucking mess where nobody even exhibited any wrestling talent because there was no wrestling to the thing. Exploding fucking sneakers. Goddamn people falling all over each other like drunks on a Saturday night all around the arena. Phony looking shit everywhere in a match. You can't have a five-star match with phony looking shit in it. Sorry. Case closed. Call me irresponsible. Now, for the record, let me just say, 
Not that this changes how you see it or anything, but I think Dave was actually there as opposed to someone watching it on TV. Even worse, you could have a better chance of following it on television. How's somebody in the arena going to see the shit that's going on in the fucking breezeway in the parking lot at the same time as the fucking cheap seats and the goddamn ringside? And again, phony looking shit, guys that aren't over, an issue that isn't over complete chaos for fucking 30 minutes. You can send anybody out there and just say, go, go fucking have a garbage match for 30 minutes. It's all going to look the same. And that is what it be. He knows that's not five stars. That's not the greatest match of all time. That's not perfection. What that is, is his fucking friends are in it and he doesn't want to hurt their feelings because they would never forget. And they would pout. And they might not talk to him anymore. Not to give him scoops, just to talk to him. Tell him how much they like him. If he was actually honest and told the truth, that it's fucking stupid and silly and they shit the bed. And the fucking people that have talent that were in the match were buried. And the people that don't have any talent that were in the match, the buckaroos and useless and the plumber, they were embarrassing. Yeah. But he won't say that. So it's five stars. That happened before. Remember that pay-per-view? I always talk about that MJF Darby Allen match that started out that pay-per-view. That got like four and maybe four and a half stars, maybe four and three quarters. And then it was the Bucks in a brawl in the arena, and that got five stars. Yeah. And it was a match that like no one thought was spectacular. Like even Bucks fans are like, eh, you know, nothing great. Five stars. And and sometimes he'll say, Well, I it's not my kind of match, but it was a perfect example of the genre. You know, then in that case, then does he walk around in truck stop bathrooms investigating other people's turds that they haven't flushed? Because, well, it's not mine, but what? it's a perfect example of the genre. What genre is that? Exactly. <laughs> Just because something is a perfect example of the genre doesn't necessarily mean that you want to smell it, taste it, look at it. Or pay to see it. On the Cornette Dooley four-star scale, what do you give Adam Cole versus Jericho? Oh, God, that... Because of the length of it and the preposterosity of it, that would have been around a a one-star unless Weasel was cranky and then it would have been a dud. But Weasel wasn't a, a big dudder. That was only for really bad shit. Like Sonny King versus Tojo Yamamoto with a complete <laughs> style clash, right? In, and, and, and in the early 80s, when Tojo was old and Sonny had already had a heart surgery. There's a match from like 84, of Tojo versus Stan Frazier. It's the most ridiculous looking ever. Oh my thing God. Ever. It just yeah. looks ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, what would you See, give? See, th- those got the duds in those days. What would you give Anarchy in the Arena? You know, again, <laughs> we gave the first six star rating that Weasel gave and I concurred with was for a brawl in the arena. Remember the Louisville Gardens brawl with Lawler and oh, yeah. Dutch and Dundee and Dream Machine and the uh, Nightmares and Ferris and Sullivan and Jimmy Hart because it was an eight man tag or a, a tag match that erupted into a multiple run in that erupted into an arena brawl that was over with, and you thought it was going on forever, and when you go back and watch the video, it was over in like four or five minutes, tops. But it was a goddamn thing. They kept it up, and oh my God, it kept building and building and building. This started out at 100 miles an hour, wouldn't fucking go away. 
if we were rating these matches like we rated the wrestling matches we saw years ago, all this shit would have got a dud or a one. Because it was about not only how good the shit looked or how fake it looked. The reason why Tojo and Plowboy was a fucking dud is because it all looked like bullshit. If it looked phony, it got penalized. If it looked like they meant it, it got fucking rewarded. If people were sitting there going, this looks pretty fucking phony, it got penalized. And if they were throwing babies in the air and trying to climb in the ring, it got rewarded. And two stars was right in the middle, about what we thought it was going to be. So I'm trying to think of a, a highly rated match from a big show we've seen recently would have been Becky Lynch and Trish. That would have got really? and, and, and Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar. And they didn't go for fucking ever. That's another thing. You didn't have these goddamn matches in those days when we were rating them. That fucking, okay, the baby face, you get a heat on a baby face. And then he gets his, a tag to his partner. And then the partner makes the comeback, and then they go into the fucking finish. No, now they tag the partner. The partner comes in and does shit. Then more people disappear. Then they tag people back in. Then there's a simultaneous tag. You've forgotten about the heat to begin with by the time they get to the finish. It goes on for fucking ever. So that would have been, been a deduction also for the goddamn get to the fucking point, get the fuck out of here, instead of constantly restarting the match again in the middle of it. You know, I love WrestleMania 3, and I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, especially if you were a big NWA fan at the time, or working there, but I love that event. And just about every match was like seven minutes or less. And I'm not saying that's the way to do it either. But even Bash 89, not every match was, not every match felt endless. Every match no. ended and you were ready for more. And this yeah. one, every match was almost 20 minutes, except for the women's matches. They were kept to three minutes and eight minutes. But every other match felt like it was close to 20 minutes. Well, because it was. Remember, you just read the times. Some of them were 30 minutes. And that's the thing is that they've romanticized. Whenever, you know, Flair talks about how I went 30 minutes every night. He did. Because he was in a fucking main event and he was the world champion. The first match was six minutes. Somebody got their ass kicked and got out of there. And they've romanticized that every match has to be long to be classic or to be to show their their artistry or whatever. And they, they were, the stories in the territory days when there were three or four matches on a card and the card had to last two hours, so you learned to put the time in and you learned to call shit in the ring that was appealing to the people that you were working for because it was a house show that wasn't television. In either when they started having main event matches on TV, or pay-per-view became a thing, or a closed circuit before that, they still didn't have every match go 30 fucking minutes. It was just the big ones. That factoid has been lost. And now, long equates classic, and they're shooting themselves in the foot. Anyway, that's my opinion. And that's a thing, you know, when you had to, 
You could put time in, but at a house show, people's attention span was longer back in those days, whereas now on television, you know, if, if, I've been on shows that literally had seven guys on it, including the referee. Uh, you know, fucking a single match, another single match, <laughs> those guys back in a fucking tag, and a single main event or whatever, or even three matches. A single match and a tag match and a fucking six-man tag. They would do it. That's when you had to put in 30 minutes at every fucking match. And, and in the old days, in a lot of the territories, the cards were short and all the matches were two out of three falls. So you had three matches, but you had nine falls. But there was, there was a reason for that. There's not a reason for this. They got 150 fucking wrestlers. Make your point. Get the fuck out of there. Should we make our point and get the fuck out of here about the AEW television program? We could. You know, I did want to ask you, did you watch that NXT match everyone's been asking about? Oh, I thought we were going to talk about that when we talked about the WWE. I can I can switch places. No, 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 no. I can just hop around. No, let's go right into the uh, AEW. Why we hop were already, around? We were already in Tony's septic tank. I figured we'd continue cleaning his colon out. Um... The AEW television for May 31st was a mixed bag. Some of it was rotten and some of it was worse. Now, um, they started the show with the BBC against Felix and Penthouse and Bandito. So, of course, you have a group that fashions itself a bunch of British shooters, even though there's no British people in it against a group of luchadors that is the ultimate style clash to anybody trying to do any kind of realistic ground and pound style pro wrestling. So, of course, this is a match Tony would make. And the intriguing thing about Moxley to me now as I look at him, when he comes out, he's doing the entrance, the facials, the way he walks, he has convinced himself that he is a big star and a badass. I don't know how he talked himself into that, but he did. And remember, I've always said that that's half the battle. You've got to be convinced of who you are before you can make the people believe it. Yeah. I think he's stuck at half the battle because he's got all the confidence. Look at him. Look at the state of him. Look at the sunken chest. Look at the fucking buggy whip arms. Look at the flabby, pale unimpressive physique look at the baldingness of him and look at his phony looking fucking work yeah to me that's the bigger issue it's not even the way he looks it's the way the work looks if you actually look at it that's what i i what is everybody i'm i'm just i'm astonished i'm fascinated i'm trying to find something to, that about this guy that would that would lead people to think that he's a star of some description. There are people, I've said it too many times at this point, it's a cult of personality around Moxley, and there are people who like the idea that he is this guy that, he, you know, he's going to do his own thing, and he has his own ideas, and, you know, the front cover of his book is like this preposterous photo of him on an empty road with, <laughs> like, the jackets hanging off his shoulder. <laughs> I mean, just, it's like a total, like, Calvin Klein, like, let's take a photo of someone if Calvin Klein started <laughs> shooting people who looked like John Moxley. <laughs> but I think that's what it is, because when you watch, you know, I, I've been watching 
Because, the you know, I hate to say it, but the listeners have become way too big of fans of the Moxley version. So yeah. now I pay extra attention to his stuff just because I want to keep things real. And I'm watching his work and it's not good. Like, I know there's a lot of shit happening. And maybe that's intentional. You know, every time he's going to do something, Wheeler and Claudio are doing something. Yeah. So there's stuff everywhere. But if you actually watch what he's doing, I'm not saying to hurt people, but lay it in so it looks like it's hurting people. No, it just, there's nothing to it. There's no element of believable work to it. It's just the, he expects people to believe that he's got this aura of badassery because he drinks bones and eats blood. And then he's out there doing shit that doesn't connect with anything on anybody. And again, there's Bandito out there wearing what looks like a Silver Age Flash outfit and carrying an inflatable Thor hammer. And they just, this is the first match on the show. They just start with a sloppy six-way, go to the floor in the first 30 seconds. There's guys going over the rail into the people. And after a while, two of the guys get in the ring and the bell rings while the others are still fighting on the floor. And that's what you were talking about. There's always a lot of shit going on. And we saw this with that God, remember when they first started the program, the dork order jumped in and there was 10 guys in mass supposedly beating up the baby faces. And when you went and isolated anything, there was the guy punching the mat next to the baby faces yeah, head. That's right. And the slow, and it was ridiculous. They think because a lot of shit is going on at the same time that nobody's going to see their shit sucks. But the problem is you've got 5,000 people or however many. There's always somebody looking at you in an arena like that. How many, I don't know, but there's always somebody. And it's television. You don't know which shot they're taking. So it doesn't matter if you're in a fucking multiple person schmoz your shit has to look professional so anyway and by the uh, way danielson was on commentary this whole time yes the best wrestler in the fucking company and all he does is do commentary and then have fucking garbage matches with no rules in groups it's like you know here we've got fucking Jimi Hendrix, let's put him in the fucking band back there and let him pick along with our lead guitarist. Did you see where Bandito picked old Wheeler up for a vertical suplex and held him for a count of 60? Yeah, you see, I'm not a fan of that kind of thing. <laughs> and that was certainly the audience for it because they liked playing along with the wrestlers and there's always an audience somewhere for that, but that's not the kind of fan I am. Well, and it again. I don't like those kind of spots. Again, it was impressive once upon a time years ago when a big guy who did a vertical suplex would pick a guy up and hold him up there for 10 seconds to make the blood rush to his head, then slam him down. But it was number one, it was usually in a singles match where there was no partner that could help. Secondly, it was 10 seconds. It wasn't a fucking 60 count, not even a minute, but 60. Because here's this fucking clown holding the guy who's obviously balancing himself precariously. And with his other hand, he's counting along with the people four, five, yeah. and then one, two, three, four. Meanwhile, the partners get the other two members of the BBC in submission holds so they can't interfere. 
but they're just laying in submission holes for 60 seconds, and the referee is just staring at all of this with six guys in the ring so that this guy can do his phony fucking spot. And then the guy has to start helping him and, and shifting his weight around to not go down or whatever. And again, it's a six-man tag match, so while he's holding him in a soup box, yes. other, everyone else just has to stay down. Yes. In these holes that nobody's tapping to and nobody's really even selling because they're not looking at <laughs> all the attentions on the other. And then again, if you'd have told a babyface 30 years ago, I'm going to pick you upside down and hold you where you're completely ineffectual and can't get out for 60 seconds and then suplex you. They said, fuck you. You're not. It makes me look like an idiot. So anyway, at that point, I said, I'm out. I skipped to the finish. Useless and Bandito had the most ridiculous, never-ending forearm exchange I've ever seen, where they wouldn't stop, where everybody else in the match was on the floor, apparently just staring at it. And then Bandito went to the top, but Felix and Penthouse jumped in the ring and stood and watched, and then... Both of them dove onto Wheeler Useless's partners who were standing on the floor waiting to catch them. And Bandito did a splash off the top rope. And that was a two count. And then Bandito gave Useless some kind of move that I think that he botched, but I'm not sure what it was supposed to look like to begin with. And then several people did shit. And then Useless did the armpit fart elbows to Bandito and pinned him with some kind of roll-up. So they just did all the shit that they knew how to do, everybody, in this whole match. And when they were out of it, then the guy just beat the other guy with the simplest shit you could do. The concerted effort to try to get Wheeler over continues. You know, the fans were into this. Got to say, they had a hot crowd for AEW in San Diego. That was certainly their crowd. You know why, don't you? Why? Because they were all in San Diego. They were jacking it, baby. Okay, okay. okay. Jacking it, jacking it, jacking it, jack. Smacking it, smacking it, smacking it, smack. I want to go where AEW goes there, jacking it. I want to watch them masturbate down to their toes there, jacking it. I want to go to San Diego. To watch Tony and the plumber jack it. Oh, yo. Unfortunately, the jacking that they're doing is the ticket prices. They get jacked Yes, they're jacking the them way up. But with Wheeler Yuta, see, that's the thing. The fans are reacting. And certainly Moxley, whatever we say about him, he's over with a large part of their audience. Claudio is along for the ride. Danielson wasn't really involved. He's on commentary, but he's over with their audience. The question is Yuta. I like the idea of elevating and pushing young guys. The question is, it has to be the not the question. Yeah. It has to be the right guy. And the question is, is Wheeler Yuta the right guy? I would buy Action Andretti over Wheeler Yuta. Well, I was going to say, for all the complaints I've had about various people on the roster and just not believing their physicality, Wheeler Yuta. I'm sorry. Even Moxley, I would believe over Wheeler Yuta. Wheeler Yuta's now won this match. They put him over Kenny Omega in the other thing. That's only happening because that's what Danielson and Moxley wanted to happen with this. Obviously, Tony's not suggesting it. It's these guys. But why? Of all the people to elevate, he still looks like even after they're done with this whole thing, he still needs more time. 
He needs more weight, if we're going to be yeah. honest. But he seems like he's going to need more time and age and weight. But they're treating him like, like, a, like a young guy who is a clear-cut guy that should be elevated. Like an Austin Theory. And not everyone's in that kind of shape. But I don't know. It should be someone imposing, not just it someone ought, they like. It ought to be somebody that you can obviously tell stands half a chance of being a star attraction in the wrestling business instead of a kid that they like that they want to hang around in their group. And that that should be it shouldn't be a talent's call. It should be a Tony Khan call. The talent used to be smarter. Who did the horseman want to elevate? Lex Luger. The next billion dollar baby, at least you could see it. You know, the, these guys, they want to elevate midgets because they're friends. Anyway, um, and we were 20 minutes into the program before that whole thing was done, by the way see our previous conversation about long not being necessarily classic and then did you did you uh, i've got to say before we talk about the fact they're going to have another fight about who's friends with who again did you love the attention to detail after the double or nothing exploding sneaker super kick they go back in the locker room and Bar Brady is with the Buckaroos and Hangnail Page, and Maddie is getting his foot wrapped by the doctor. Cause you know that the fucking pyro and those exploding sneakers, that's got to be painful, right? The thumbtacks he stepped on, that's what's and, painful. Ah, fuck. Uh, and he actually said, this is a quote, ladies and gentlemen, I never thought I'd try to melt a man's face with an exploding sneaker, but here we are. And by the way, the next time they do an exploding ring match, now you know what to do. Just put those sneakers all around the ring. Yeah. That worked. But here's the thing. They probably won't do one of those because, remember, Moxley didn't sell it. There were no bombs that went off. That was the other problem. Eddie Kingston sold it like he was dead. Yeah, Eddie Kingston <laughs> sold it when the fucking thing fucking misfired. And Moxley, he gets hit in the head with an exploding sneaker and doesn't sell it. Oh, you, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but anyway. I thought you meant he didn't sell the original explosion. Oh, well, who sells anything? Anyway, while they're whining and griping about whatever their fucking issue is, and old Hang, they ought to call him Hang Dog Page now. He's just got that downtrodden expression on his face. The dork order come in. And they're upset that Hangnail is with his new friends. They're like, oh, you're with your new friends now. They're actually going to do a thing now between the Dork Order and the Buckaroos and Hangnail, all the friends from California, about who's my friend again. How many who's my friend angles have they done in this amongst all of the people who are legitimately friends? That's why they like to work together. It doesn't matter what's good for business. It doesn't matter what to make Tony Khan any money. We just want to go to work and have fun working with our friends. If I told you the Bucks were going to work with the Dark Order, what would the segment be? You probably would have guessed this exact thing. They would argue about who's friends with Hangman Adam Page. Yeah. You know, the problem is we've seen a lot of the friends wrestle their other friends for four years now. The point has to come where Tony Khan says, okay, you've wrestled all your friends enough, and we brought in other friends, and you've wrestled them enough. Now you have to wrestle someone else's friends. Well, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because we got Dork Order doing subtle, smart-aleck digs 
At uh, I, I suspect they're going to have a Twitter feud here pretty soon, too. And also, we got the information that Kenny has left the country, oh. but he's oh. not. What? How did we leave that? That was the best part. Alex Marvez, with all of his charisma, we understand Kenny Omega has left the country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? That's, he's left the country, <laughs> but he's not in Canada. Did you hear that? Oh, I missed that. I was too busy laughing, and he's left the country. No, 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 because he said he, Kenny is, has left the country. Apparently, the fucking depositions were about to be unsealed. Oh, stop it, but, stop it, stop it. But he's left the country, but one of the idiots said, I guess he's gone back to Canada. Nope. He's out of the country, but he's not in Canada. How does Marvez know? Well, no, that was Hangnail. Oh, that was Hangnail who said it. Oh. Yeah, I think. So the point is... We know two things. We know Canada is safe, and we know that Kenny, because what other country would want him, has gone back to Japan, and I'm sure it's just so that he can be called on the carpet and, and be handed the official Harry Carey knife for the fucking way he's botched this video game, but the story will probably be he's going to go to Japan and get a friend, because you know that... Tony wants all the Japanese friends of Kenny to come and play at, at Forbidden Door. It's a big international kids party there where all the kids from all the different countries can come and play with each other. That's that's my prediction. Who do you think he comes back with, Ibushi or Okada? Um, Jeez, hopefully Okada because at least he's, you know, a good wrestler, but I'm sure he'll come back with Ibushi because they have a history before of getting in the ring with sex toys and humping them in public. So that's probably who he'll pick. Am I lying? Am I telling a goddamn lie when I say that both Kenny, Twinkle Toes Omega, and Coda, who gives a fuck about him, Obushi, <laughs> have both have a history of it on wrestling shows, getting in the ring with sex dolls and fucking humping them in front of people. Am I lying when I make that statement? Am I lying when I make the statement that both Kenny Twinkle Toes Omega and Coda I don't give a fuck Obushi have goddamn have a history of it on wrestling shows getting in the ring with underage children, female in the single digit age group and having competitive wrestling matches with them where they're giving them all kinds of moves and grabbing all parts of their bodies to pick them up and swing them around. Am I lying when I make that statement? I know Omega has. I'm not sure if Obushi has, so I don't know for sure. I'm pretty sure I saw that. I know I saw the blow-up doll with the big mouth open. Of course, it was one of the Japanese blow-up dolls, so the mouth wasn't quite as big as the American blow-up dolls. But nevertheless, I'm pretty sure... <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw him with the goddamn children also. And I'm pretty sure that I've seen both of them in the match doing the deal where they pull their opponent's tights down and oil their fingers up and stick their fingers up their opponent's asses. But, I, but now don't hold a gun on me on that one. I know I've seen, I've seen Kenny do it, but not Obushi do it. Well, these will be interesting history packages when they play them to build up the uh, angle. Yeah. So that's probably whose friends he's going to get. So Tony, old Shavanto himself, was in the ring to do a live promo with Gin and Juice. And 
I've got to admit that I enjoyed this partly because they actually, Tony stayed in the goddamn ring with the microphone while the heels were talking and conducted the interview while they had their arms around him and made fun of him like it should be. And, and Tony did until they got interrupted or whatever the fuck, Tony was pretty much in there. So that was good. Gin and Juice comprised the team of Bullet Club Gold. Have they explained at any time on the AEW television program what the Bullet Club was, how it was formed, who was originally in it, who's in it now, or what? why gold now is a designation? Is, the, is it like the NWO, black and white, green and red, pink and purple polka dotted? What is the Bullet Club gold, and has anybody ever bothered to explain it? I don't know, and no. Okay. Well, they felt Tony all up and everything, and Juice has something. Like you see, he's got that weird look, and he's got that voice and that way of speaking, and the big eyes, and kind of a round face, and just, you know... He's got something, and he's hyperactive and peripatetic and every kind of thing. Jay White looks and sounds like every other guy from the UK that they've brought up into NXT. I'm sorry. I'm trying to... I've had several people that I actually like say, oh, he's good. You got to give him a chance. Well, what are they doing to show me he's good on this program? He hasn't had a blow-away match where you said, wow, this guy's one of the goddamn great workers of the modern generation. Even if he is, he hadn't had one. And the promos, I don't think, are the way he gets over because I'm paying attention to, to fucking Juice. And when Juice cut the promo on FTR, he can talk. He's not just reciting shit. He's not playing something he sounds like he really is halfway fucking demented. So, Jen did most of the promo, but Juice is what I wanted more of. And then here came FTR. And the heels hid behind Tony Schiavone. <laughs> and that was good. Uh, and again, they. this is a tag team program. That might be interesting. I would love to see Jen and Juice have established themselves a little bit more first, but we can't be... Beggars can't be choosers. But basically, they did the uh, the heelish thing where they asked FTR, oh, you want to join Bullet Club Gold? Well, ask politely, and then dropped the microphone in front of them. And at that point, that's when Tony was scurrying off, and suddenly Juice nailed Dax with a roll of quarters and they double-teamed Cash, and they each gave FTR their finish, and, and then suddenly, the two guys that had just beat up the tag team champions got run off by Ricky Starks all by himself. So, I want to see Jen and Juice against FTR. I liked everybody's interview interaction here. It's nice to see the roll of quarters again, and they did fly so you could see them. But do they think and it's the right way to do an angle when every time the heels just shut the baby face down with no struggle? Couldn't it have been 
ask politely and drop the microphone in front of Dax and Dax look at the disrespect and slap Jay White in the face. And that makes goddamn Juice fucking do something like, oh, you motherfucker, and go and cash pickles fucking him and knocks him in the corner. And then FTR both go and grab Jay and pick him up to do their fucking thing. But that's when fucking Juice has gone in his pocket and got the roll of quarters. And as they go to shoot Furnham off to give FTR to give them their finish, boom, there's fucking Juice with the roll of quarters and pickle fucking one of them. And now they've you've seen some life out of the baby faces, but now one's down, now it's two against one. And the other baby face fights back against the heels, but is shut down by the numbers, one's from behind him all the time. And then you get your heat. Instead of just, ah, sucker punch, boom, down, well, we fuck these guys up. It's kind of blah, don't you think? I mean, I don't disagree with what you're saying, although I thought the punch from Juice to Dax with the roll quarters looked great. I thought it looked fantastic. Oh, it did. It did. I would have given them a little something first. All the baby faces get shut down. Darby came in the ring the other day and didn't do any damage. They just shut him down. Every time a baby face, and at this point now, and in the WWE also, you're seeing it. It's to the point where Owens, because he's got to be a smart ass and tell everybody how phony everything is if he doesn't like something, but he's always joking in his interviews about, well, now here's the part where we start fighting, right? You've heard that. Or here's the, I knew the part where we said your name, your music would play. Yeah. He's making fun of it because he's a smart ass and he really doesn't disguise it well, but it's true. And that's the thing is all these baby faces are just getting sucker punched. Let the baby face beat the fucking heel to the punch, no pun intended, when it comes to standing up for themselves and then let the heel fucking cheat and the, the numbers game takes over. But you've got to show the baby faces have some ability to take care of themselves first. Anyway, I don't know, what, what did you think of the rest of this? Uh, well, for the promo, I thought the promo mostly was great. The only thing I don't like, and I may be a, a stickler for this kind of thing, but perfect use of Shivani, I don't think heels should be putting their hands on the commentators. Shouldn't happen. Shivani well, shouldn't be calling MJF a prick, but the heels shouldn't be standing there messing up Shivani's hair and putting their arms around him. Just let him hold the mic and do his job. Let me, let me say this. I don't believe that the the talent ought to push the announcers around as far as physically attack them or jack them around, except if it's a rare angle or whatever. But when the heels are being smart asses and putting their arms around him and giving him a little, you know, and I used to do a little bit of that to David Crockett. I think it's kind of refreshing because nobody acts like a smart aleck anymore. But that's just me. Well, the problem is, I don't think David Crockett ever I acted don't think as uncomfortable as Shivani looked <laughs> while this was happening here. Well, Tony always looks uncomfortable anyway. And, and I wish somebody would take him to a men's store that actually gives a fitting and alters the clothing instead of just here, it's off the rack, but it's yours. The other day after the Met game, I had channel 11 on that show. The Goldbergs was on. I never really watch it, but the middle son, I think it was who wears glasses sounds just like juice Robinson <laughs> on that note. I think this guy's a look. This guy has an energy. This guy's good on the mic. He's been all right in the ring. I'd like to see him and Jay White against FTR. And when FTR got in there, it didn't look crazy in terms of size difference. It looked like it would be a good matchup. 
I worry about it just going into a trios thing because of everything else in AEW becoming a trios thing. And Ricky Starks is already involved. Well, but uh, fortunately, Jen and Juice don't have anybody on their side, do they? But again, until they Not bring yet. in a guy, until they bring in a guy named Tonic. Well, the other problem is, the other big problem in this whole see thing, that didn't even register with you at all. Well, I it thought did. that one was good. It, it was it was fine, but you know, all right. What I was gonna say, somebody out there will like it. Yeah, a few of the wrestlers like it all the time, too many times. But what I was gonna say is the only thing I didn't like about this really at all. The Bullet Club Gold shit. You know, when FTR comes out there, oh, obviously you want to join this thing that we've never talked about on this show that no one yeah. really is aware of unless you watch New Japan. There had to be something else. You know, just like there had to be something better for FTR against Jared and Lethal other than like, we want to be Mark's friends. No, we're Mark's friends. There had to be something else to do just to get this going. But otherwise, FTR are really good here. Fans are into them. Juice Robinson and Jay White. Hope they spend more time here and less time in New Japan because they've been really good. Well, speaking of spending more time in the company, a long-lost friend is about to spend more time in the company because Tony Khan then, it was time for him to be on the bridge of the Starship announcement. Thanks, guys. To, to announce his announcement on the announcement set. And that announcement, as we have talked about briefly on the drive through this past uh, past week a couple days ago collision the new program on saturday nights will feature cm punk and that's the very last thing he said and then they do the wide shots the jib shot around the arena as the people reacted and as we mentioned it was mixed because you got the initial yay from the people who were waiting to hear that and the people who weren't waiting to hear that because they didn't want it to happen, it settled in on them after a few seconds, and then they started the booze and the grumbling. And that went on that wave. And another thing, a good thing that, uh, or a good point that people have pointed out, they were in California, so that's the Buckaroo's backyard. So they were ready to not like that announcement to begin with. But whichever way you look at it, They've done damage with their childish foolishness and Tony's inability to put his foot down and to turn personal pissiness into professional business. Even though Punk has been trying, from every indication we've got, they've damaged a number of their top attractions. Whichever way you look, the people who like Punk now probably didn't necessarily like the buckaroos to begin with, but they hate them now and vice versa. The people who liked the buckaroos, they probably weren't enamored of punk, but they didn't hate him. They do now because their boyfriends do. So, you know, and meanwhile, the tickets for these TV shows are $500 a piece. I think it was Taz after the announcement. Like Mussolini! That's what I was going to say. He didn't do it, unfortunately, as bad as that, or fortunately, as bad hey. as that. Well, you sound like crap. You know that. No, I do. Now, I'll have you know. I do know. I'll have you know. I already know. I just said it to you. I'll have you know that my music teacher, when I was, <laughs> when I was a kid, yeah. said that I was the best pupil that she ever had. 
Actually, her exact words were, of all the students I've ever had, you're the only one I can't teach anything to. See, there you go. See, I knew it all already. And then you threw a rock at her head. Well, no, it wasn't her. But uh, (laughs) I wasn't welcome back in the fucking history class for a few. Nevertheless, so, (laughs) so anyway, now we got this big announcement. And again, when they come back east on the uh on the uh right side of the Mississippi River, then punk's gonna be tearing the house down when they go over there and they're on the left side of the Mississippi, actually probably the left side of the Nevada state line, then the buckaroos will probably have the uh home court advantage but well, actually, done nobody any favors, and the the inability to advertise this in a coherent fashion, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. It's just ridiculous. The other question I guess we don't have an answer to yet is, are you going to get the split audiences? Because if it becomes quickly defined that CM Punk and whoever else, based on that poster, FTR, Andrade, Miro, whoever else, they're going to be on this one show. And the other show is going to have Kenny and the Bucks and Moxley and whoever else. If it's a clear break, when you're buying tickets, you know you're going to the CM Punk show. Are you going to go there to boo him? Or are you going there because you want to see him? Well, it, it can't be a hard split because, for one thing, that'll tank the fucking ratings that they've still got on Wednesday night. Because there's not enough people that people give a shit about to watch to go around. It can't be. A, they can't. Who we just talked about on the last program we did, yours, the drive through. Who are MJF's logical challengers? And, yeah. How are they going to split that roster up? MJF and Punk is money. That issue has not been settled. MJF and Darby looks like something they're going to do based on the finish of the four way, because why would you have beaten the only challenger in the match that was worth a shit unless they were coming back with a single match? Past that, what the fuck's going on for the world title? They don't have depth of talent. They've got quantity of talent. They have a plethora of guys on the roster, and they're mispositioned to where nobody... Can you do MJF and Danielson again after you just did it in February? You could always do anything again. Will people buy it again? Should you do it again? That's the other question. I don't think you should do that match again right now. Not Not to say it wouldn't be great and we wouldn't enjoy watching it, but... right. I think Danielson right now is going to play with his friends. Well, yeah, and, and that's been muddied and muddled to the point where it, it wouldn't draw now, even though it was a great match. A rematch now would not mean as much as it would have if they'd announced it right after the previous match happened. So the point is, hard split, blah. They ain't going to be able to do that, and he's going to realize when he started to put these formats for these shows together, sooner or later, that he needs all his goddamn talent available at least for both shows all the talent i'm talking not all the roster all the talent all the people that fans would watch and give a shit about and this this program that we're talking about shows that because even if he hadn't split anything it's not that deep the next match was a triple threat match between swerve and big bill and cupcake of the pudding gang you mean to tell me that is flagship tv show worthy it'll if you had any other alternative so no i i honestly i think saturday night is a better night to sell tickets to a live event but are is it now have they 
have they aggravated a, a segment of the audience to the point where people are going to say, well, fuck, I'm not going to go support AEW because it's AEW pink with punk instead of AEW chartreuse with the buckaroos. So I'll only go if it's Wednesday. And the other people are saying, well, fuck them fucking trampoline cowboys. I'm only going to go if it's, if I get to go Saturday night. And then you're, <laughs> and plus they are adding a second show in the United States of America every week. While the number of towns in the United States of America remains the same. So that means they're going to, whatever they've been doing at whatever pace, they're going to do twice as much of it. And that's going to be twice as many tickets they got to sell. And I guess this kills any Saturday house shows going forward, unless you're going to run a house show against your own TV show, even if you have a split roster. Well, from what I saw about the house show, the the card rather that they just ran and the ones that they ran in Corbin and Salem, I think they just ran Tupelo with a, a fucking entire roster. It was on the federal witness protection program that uh, they probably killed that as it was. They probably dropped that idea already. You don't hear more being announced, but at the same point, they do their pay-per-views on weekends. And now that WWE is going on Saturday night, they're going on uh, and, and AEW is going on Sunday. At least they won't conflict with their own pay-per-views. They'll have the night before as a go home show, but they will be conflicting once a month with a WWF pay-per-view. And if there's Saturday night, Go home show for a Sunday pay-per-view does not feature everybody, all the top stars that are on the card on the pay-per-view, then that's kind of stupid. And if all the top guys are going to be on pay-per-views, which one would be led to believe you would want every top name that you could have on the lineup on the pay-per-view, then all these fucking fussing and feuding parties are going to be together in the same building anyway. And they're just going to have to avoid bursting into the other guy's locker room and fucking starting a goddamn hay rube. So how's that going to take place? Anyway. Anyway. And 10 minutes of TV time for Swerve and Big Bill and Cupcake of the Pudding Gang. You didn't watch any of it? Are you kidding? I watched some of it. Why? Because like, I wanted to see, uh, I was intrigued that they would put this match on this show in this position. So I said, let me give it a few minutes and see what's up. Not a fan of these trios, trios, these three-way matches. Big Bill looked good, gotta say. And I'm just intrigued by Swerve because he was a guy that got over. They did the thing with him and Keith Lee. They were the tag team champions. They broke up. And then whatever has been going on with this feud, it's mostly played out on other shows. Rick Ross showed up once called Keith Lee a big motherfucker. I never saw him again. The two <laughs> tattooed guys that beat up Keith Lee. Oh, I forgot about them. We don't know the guy with the tattooed face and then Parker Boudreaux. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know where they are. Yeah. Swerve's now with these other people. He's just with another of the many random factions that hang out backstage. It's weird the way he's used here. But I watched this. One question for you that came out of this match. I'm not a fan of these three-way matches. I've seen too many of them. You've talked a lot about that. Would it make it better in some cases, and this is certainly not the case here, considering who's in it and the position on the show, but if you had three main eventers, if you had it so that you had to pin both of the other opponents, as opposed to one pinfall wins the match, you think that would make it better? 
Yes. Yes, because then, and by the way, that is the original rules. The original rules of a triple threat match were elimination. Last unbeaten man, last unpinned man, however you want to say it, is the winner. That's the way I did it. I think that's the way that Paul Lee did it when he took the idea for the three-way dance, didn't he? I think so. Sabu versus Shane Douglas versus Terry Funk, February yeah. 1994, yeah. And when JR took the triple threat to the WWF when he was booking the house show cards, he, I think, that's where the... I can't remember whether the first ones were pinfall or not or whether they made the change right at the start that first fall wins it so that they could avoid other guys doing jobs or whatever. I can't remember. But the original intention was an elimination. And again, to me, that's the only way that makes sense. Because otherwise you would have had a situation where a guy could lose a belt without being pinned, and that's ridiculous. I'm not talking elimination. I'm talking whoever's in the match, you have to pin two people as opposed to one. Well, yeah, that's what but I'm saying. But you're not eliminated once one guy pins you. Oh, okay. Well, your idea is more busy because then you'd, then you'd end up being three or four or five falls and it might be hard to follow. Because if, you, if, if I'm against you and Styles Bitchley, but I, I pin Styles Bitchley, but I can't pin you, then you pin Styles Bitchley, but you can't pin me. And then finally, maybe I pin you. We're going around our elbow to get to our wrist. Well, Styles still has a chance, even though, I mean, that would never happen because he's a He would never have a chance. Weakling. But the point, I like the elimination because people can follow it. And the thing I was going to say is the reason why it makes it better is because once you get rid of the first guy, and it's the easiest to get rid of the first guy because he can always have a bitch, because he can have have had one guy beat, but the other guy stole it from behind. And that way he can even be up and he can come back out in the finish and fuck the baby face or at or whatever the fuck, if you want. But then you get down to the last two guys, you have a real match from that point on to get the people really involved and make the baby face sell and put him through hell. And then finally your big comeback. And then you can, like I said, run the other guy back in or do whatever you want. But that, eliminates it being three guys for the entire time and that helps but what was your cockamamie idea my then? idea because it doesn't seem like any of these promotions want to eliminate the third guy would be that you have to pin both of your opponents to actually win the match that way you also get a lot of different booking options coming out of it i didn't win the match but i pinned you i beat the world champion but he's the champion because he beat both of us before i could beat styles bitchley whatever it may be again it's busy probably only for main eventers and a Jim Cornette or a Pat Patterson or someone who could actually put it together smart in a smart way. Speak smartly. Also, there's like something in there. If it was related in English, it would, <laughs> it would be more apparent, but there's something in that idea. But again, it would have to be three guys in the ring that knew what they were doing and somebody that knew what they were doing to lay the thing out and give them a skeleton or a framework so they could fill it in and, Etc. But I don't think Tony Khan, the plumber, Twinkle Toes, and Danielson. Fuck it. Well, Danielson could be in it with other people, but not not any of those people I just mentioned. I agree. Uh, Chris Statlander. 
She has moved. She's no longer from the Andromeda galaxy. Now she's apparently a normal human and dressing like a normal human and being portrayed like a sympathetic baby face. And I think they got something here. And hopefully she doesn't get hurt. She's been hurt for the past two years. Hopefully she's good now. But she's more serious. She, The people like her. She's got the sympathetic story. This is hopefully an optimistic sign for the women's department or whatever. Women's division, not women's department. The women's Ladies lingerie. Yeah. Three people and a woman. <laughs> <laughs> did you say see the um Did I say the inter- did you did oh say can you see <laughs> I was about to do that. God damn it. <laughs> or see, did you say the uh promo with Renee Moxlegood with the acclaimed and Billy Gunn? It was a live promo out in front of people. They brought him out in the entranceway, and they, they still didn't let Caster rap. And the only thing that I took away from this was the people still like him, but they've got nothing to talk about, and they're not as hot as they were because of the way they've been booked since the people decided they were the greatest thing ever. And the main point that they were making here was that they were saying Billy Gunn deserves to hold gold one more time and it's no problem with us that he lost last week, which is either Tony's normal stupidity in saying the wrong thing at the wrong time or they're teasing that now Billy may turn on them and I don't cut their throats with a pair of scissors. I have no idea. But there's going to be some animosity here by that or is that just people being stupid and saying things they shouldn't bring up. Well, the other possible thing they're teasing is that the match that was a random match that was not really announced, or at least we didn't know about it before the pay-per-view, them versus the House of Black, that first match was the build-up future matches so that Billy Gunn could get a shot at this title, because what other title could they be talking about? I have no fucking idea. Um, But anyway, here you go. Let's join the... Let's invite the acclaimed and Wardlow and Starks, and Hook, and FTR in some instances, and all the people that just got real popular by for, through some reason or another, and Tony completely didn't know what the fuck to do with. And again, Max Caster should be out there doing his rapping because it got him over, but also it's a tool that you could use to make everything more interesting. Let him go out there and bust on everyone. Get everyone in the, you know. Let him go out there and bust on everybody. Just let him go out there. Do you think he is Peter North? That's not what I meant. I don't know what you. you... Besides, there's some kind of goddamn city statutes about that kind of thing. You can't just go out in a sporting arena and just start ejaculating or gesticulating everywhere all over bystanders. That wasn't what I meant, but they are in Southern California for the record. Well, where, where they're jacking it. Where they are apparently jacking it, but let him go out there and just rip on all the other wrestlers because it's kind of everything standing still with them. They're losing a lot of their buzz. And I do think, though, other than the merch, it's probably, if you're going to keep the acclaim together, it's probably for the best for the long term to come up with an exit plan for Billy Gunn sooner rather than later. I think Mother Nature will come up with an exit plan for Billy. You know what I mean. He's almost 60. You know what I mean. I don't know how much longer they can do the whole daddy ass thing. Well, it's 
It's not my week to call him daddy. So I, but here's the thing is that I almost, I'm not saying Billy can't be a great heel, but you, if he turns heel on them, he gets the heat. He gets the attention. I think if they want to, they want to try to salvage this. They almost turn need to turn the acclaimed heel on Billy. Do you turn the Was, gun boys baby face to save their dad? Possibly. But I mean, it's starting to get busy, but I mean, everybody's in a weird position here anyway. The acclaimed are popular for because the people decided they wanted to like them. As long as they did their shit, they were popular, but then they stopped being able to do their shit and they got into a feud with guys that were obviously green. And I'm not saying the, the guns have tons of potential, but they're green and everybody's green. And Billy ain't green, but he can't get in and have the matches for everybody. That's a and, great point, though. Just the fact that he was the one to turn on them, as a lot of fans thought was a possibility. What are you really setting up? He All the heat's on him. Yeah. That's why I, I think to get the acclaimed over, you almost have to, to back over. You almost have to turn the acclaimed on Billy and make him the sympathetic figure. Especially if FTR are baby faces. Because then you need, live, yeah. you need more heel tag teams. But that makes a little sense. So that's probably not what's going to happen. You know what? I'm going to say this. I'm I'm liking Take a Shit. I am really, with Don Fallis as his manager, he looks like the fucking surly heel in, in a kung fu movie. They had the live interview, Tony Schiavone in the ring, and, and with Don and his new protege, and of course the question was, why, why, Don, why? And they're doing the thing with Dominic or the thing they do with Dominic and the WWE, the fans, they're doing that with Don Fallis now. They are booing him out of the building anytime he tries to speak. Although, did you see some of the fans they focused on? They were hamming it up in a way oh, yeah, I've never yeah. seen before in wrestling. Well, yeah, it's, a, it's the thing to do. And see, and somebody on Twitter, I can't remember, I don't even know if I notice everybody's name, and I don't know who some of these gimmick names are anyway, but somebody on Twitter said, my God, this is molten level heat like the territories used to have. No, please. I'm not. I Again, I'm saying I like this, and I'm about to put it over. And I'm not saying that the people weren't screaming and booing and drowning Don Fallis out and that it was way more reaction than anything else on the program got. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying this is not molten nuclear heat. If you saw the people, as you said, even if they weren't hamming it up because they see the floor camera in front of them, and that's a large part of what these fans are doing, they're doing it because it's the thing to do. They're doing it because they're probably mad in storyline that Don turned on Kenny, but also they know that Don, that's they're being part of the show and it's in fun and you see some of the people doing the thumbs down and booing while they're smiling i can promise you that is not the boo the heel out of the building heat from the territories because that was accompanied by people that legitimately would have gone up to don Callis and stuck a fucking knife in him if they knew they could get away with it or at least kept some That's, distance and thrown a battery or it kept some uh, thrown a battery or a jar of vaseline or goddamn whole flashlight, jar or one of, of those shoes. I got a jar of Vaseline thrown at me in Cleveland <laughs> in, in the eighties. Remember? 
No, seriously. I don't, know, I don't know this story. No. No, in the 80s, they were still the metal. The What's the brand of Vaseline? Uh, the, you know the jar. that I know the look. I don't know the name of it. The brand name of Vaseline in the little squat jar. And um, I'm trying to remember the brand name now. Goddamn somebody out there screaming at me. But anyway, in the 80s, it was still the, the metal, like the aluminum lid that you would pull off. And the jars were still glass. And it's about as big as your fist. And women would keep them. And this was the wintertime in Cleveland. Women would have these things in their purse. And that's what they would throw is whatever they didn't. They didn't have a steady supply of shit laying all around them. So you got, like you said, batteries, flash cubes off Instamatic cameras, wadded up cups of ice, things that were in the arena or things that were in their pockets or purses. And many times somebody would say, I don't need this Vaseline. I don't need this flashlight battery. I don't need this whatever I got in my purse as bad as I want to throw at it, such and such heel. But anyway, nevertheless, I'm either that or maybe she saw that my lips were chapped. But anyway, Don was saying that he is the real victim and he was trying to explain it. He couldn't get it. And then he starts working it because he can't get it out. And that's part of the deal. Is it just elongates the, you know, how the whole explanation finally gets out. But he's screaming, I lost a nephew, but I gained a son because take a shit is better than Ricky Dozan or Inoki, Maeda, Okada. Didn't name Baba. I was surprised. Didn't name Baba. Well, I guess he figured Mrs. Baba's still around, didn't she? No, I think she died. Did she die? Okay, well, then maybe he's safe. Otherwise, she'd have got him. Is she still alive? Hold on now. I don't know. I don't know. I thought she was. Mrs. Baba. I wish Masahori was here. I could ask him. He would know. Matoko. Matoko. Is her first name. Uh, no, she passed away. She did indeed pass away. Uh, what year? She passed away five years ago. Okay. She's buried in an urn the shape of Johnny Ace. What? Hey! No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, it's been five years. At least they didn't Randy Atcher mean he's been gone for 17 or whatever. But again, uh, then Take speaks in Japanese. And I like this pairing. I've I've been a fan of Don Callis in the 90s and until he, you know, just picked the wrong people to hang out with. And you can't make Twinkle Toes palatable. But th remember, Take has plenty of athletic ability. I don't know what he's going to learn around this bunch of lunatics, but he's got something, and Callus can talk. And the only thing I don't like about this is they're still cutting a promo on Harpo, so they're going to have that match. So that I can't look forward to that. But we'll see what happens with Fallus and Take a Shit going forward. I thought, first of all, in terms of Takeshita, let's call him his real name here. It'd also be easier on YouTube. In terms of Takeshita, you know what? I really like him. He's got size. He has an intensity. He was out there and he didn't look ridiculous. I buy him. I think there's someone you talk about who could be a future star for this company. Spend time on him. There you go. He's got something. Callus, I'm not a Callus fan. And I think he's ridiculous. Can't deny there was a reaction, although, again, it's different than... When you see the Dominic reaction... That started organically. This felt... Right. Again, there was close-up. At one point, there was like three fans. I swear, there was almost like they were 
actors. It was almost like they were acting. I would have thought there was <laughs> plants that Tony hired no, for this, I, but I it couldn't be. I guarantee you, because they know when the, the, the everybody's smart now to television. When there's a guy with a fucking television camera positioning himself six feet to your right, you know you might be in a shot, and when the red light comes on, the tally light, they're hamming it up. But the other thing is the explanation. I'm not digging that either. I've lost a family. You cost me family. No one knows what the fuck he's talking about. So I don't oh, think- yeah, I, did, I didn't. I didn't care about any of the content of it. Just the idea that he had to scream over it, and and I like the the pairing. But there's still no explanation that makes any sense. You know, the entire BCC elite feud has been poorly built up. Poor explanations for everything, from Danielson to whatever else this is. The let's avoid CM Punk feud. Let's really call it what it is. I think there's more, and you saw it here in terms of heat, whether it's real or manufactured, there's more heat on Callus and Omega's thing than anything with the BCC and the Elite. This is something people care about. He's been with Omega since early on in the company. Daly's place, I remember seeing him, I think, the first time. So they've seen this story play out. The BCC thing just felt like a rushed, pushed feud for no good reason. Danielson says, I have a question, and we want them to be better, and none of this makes any sense or resonates with anyone, but Callus turning on Omega did. And again, as goofy as Callus is, Takeshita was dead serious, and I loved it. And again, put him over where it's right. Shivani was used properly as an interviewer on the show. Get him out of the commentary booth. He doesn't add anything there. Use him like this. Perfect way to use him. But you just stumbled on something also. And Take was serious, right? Take had, you can believe in him. Don can be buffoonish if his guys aren't as buffoonish or more buffoonish. With When he's with the Buckaroos, come on. And when he's with Kenny... You can't take Kenny seriously. He doesn't mean anything he says. He's not an intimidating personality. He does acrobatic wrestling moves for the people that like that kind of thing. But you don't think this guy's a fucking menace to society. He'll go off and hurt somebody. Uh, He's not somebody you can't wait to listen to his promos because of the -the over-the-top personality he's got. What a blah, blah, blah. He's just goofy, and they don't... As we've said, they somehow... All of them in that group manage to do whatever they do with their tongue in their cheek where you know they're not serious about it or they just don't give a shit. Whereas the manager can be and sometimes should be buffoonish with a serious guy under his control so he provides the comedic relief. There's no need for comedic relief when the whole group is comedic at one point or another. So that's why I'm, at least Don could be more serious with this fucking guy. And maybe they'll put him in with the people he can learn something from, too. Again, I wish there was a better explanation that made a little more sense or was a little more a little easier to digest or explain. But I think this is the best thing I've seen Callus do in AEW. Well, speaking of things in AEW, there's no transition to any of the best of anything here. The 9 o'clock hour where they're supposed to be trying to snag the potential, you know, people jumping off the boat from other programs and switching around at the top of the hour or whatever. 
Darby Allen teamed with our little puppy pockets against Bishop Khan, apparently that's Tony's big brother, and his partner Tia Leone. So at that, that's where they're supposed to have star power, supposed to have a big angle or a big segment or whatever. I wrote, my God in heaven, what the fuck are they thinking? Because here's Darby Allen just got beat in the World Heavyweight Championship match at the pay-per-view. He's the one that was pinned. And as I said, I have to think that the reason he was pinned instead of Sammy or Jungle Boy, who are way more expendable and not nearly at Darby's level, is because they're going to bring it back in a single with Darby and MJF. But at this point, regardless of what they're going to bring back, this is where Darby needed a singles win over a half-ass name heel and then do a promo promising in his own inimitable way not to give up and to continue until he had conquered Mount Everest and that he had won the AEW world title. And instead, he gets a tag team match with the company mascot as a partner against two almost completely unknown guys that we have barely seen on this television program and haven't at all seen in months, and they're both three times bigger than he is that makes him look like an eight-year-old kid. Is there anything else they could have done in this segment to make Darby Allen look worse? Oh, yes. <laughs> they beat the shit out of him through the whole fucking match. The one star in the match. They not only kicked the shit out of him, they toyed with him. And at one point, both of the heels were just in the ring abusing Darby Allen, who was trying to fight back. And there's pockets standing on the apron, doing nothing, getting buried, holding the tag rope while the referee does nothing about the heels double teaming either. And that used to be a fucking thing that when the Midnight Express were baby faces, they couldn't fucking stand and watch that because the whole idea was that they were a little more heelish fucking baby faces than your average baby face. So they would count to fucking 10, and if the heels hadn't quit their double teaming, the other guy would come off the apron, grab one of the heels, start punching him, and say, don't fucking bury me. Do it and quit. But it, and, and then, Darby gave the hot tag to Pockets. So this waste of fucking flesh made his comeback on two giants that had just beaten Darby Allen within an inch of his life with his hands in his pockets. And then I don't, I don't know what I, that was enough for me. 15 minutes of television time on this. I assume that maybe Darby got the win, but Probably, did you see the whole thing or did you even pay attention to this? I didn't pay attention to this. Okay, well, so now Darby Allen has had the equivalent of Tony Khan squat down, take a shit in his hand, and pie face Darby Allen right in the fucking face with it. The one thing that did stick out to me because I saw <sighs> the end of it, they have a lot of guys who are smaller that are around the same size. Because Darby and Darby, I think, may have been slightly bigger, unless he was wearing lifts in his boots, slightly bigger than Orange Cassidy. And he's a tiny guy, and obviously he doesn't weigh very much. 
but there are more slight guys in AEW pushed as upper mid-card or main eventers than anywhere else. Darby deserves it because Darby is unique and pulls it off. I'm not an Orange Cassidy fan. Adam Cole is probably yeah. size-wise just in the range with these guys. There are more guys that slight in AEW than I've ever seen on a main roster anywhere. Wheeler Ewitt is pretty slight. I mean, same thing. Again, Darby Allen, if they had started a year and a half ago, or much less if they'd started when they opened the fucking company, and he was the only babyface under 190 pounds on the whole roster, and he was the only one that was allowed to do a dive through the fucking ropes like a goddamn bullet, and you accentuated his underdoggedness and his amazing ability, resiliency, whatever, and had the fight in him and his weird charisma, and you kept him away from exposing his really more stupid moments or attributes, such as when now apparently he has told the world that to impress his ex-girlfriend, he once rubbed BW3 hot sauce on his asshole before a car ride. If you had produced him, if you gave him a dedicated trainer-producer, if you accentuated his strengths and nullified his weaknesses to the public eye and had pushed him as a single from the start and he was the only guy under 190, only babyface under 190, and only guy doing all that stuff, he would be one of the top four box office attractions in the company right now. But instead, he just got the shit kicked out of him by two tattooed miscellaneas um, and teamed up with the fucking mascot on television. And also now, because of him, we have tons of listeners sending us photos of Mount Everest and I guess dead bodies on the body. side of yes. Mount Everest that are now milestones or markers, I guess. Anyway, uh, did you have any further thoughts on whatever that was? I'll repeat what I've been saying. Tony will never give up on Orange Cassidy. It's his personal favorite. It's his personal mission at this point. I will not be shocked if this guy gets the AEW world title. And I think all signs point to that being the way Tony would think about this. Even all the buckaroos in the stands that like the joke wrestling would riot over that, would they? I don't they? think so. Nope. I think, what? I think those fans would embrace it for whatever reason, and there may be multiple reasons, but I think Tony is, again, they had Orange Cassidy at the media scrum. They're trying to push Orange Cassidy on every single show. He opens a lot of these shows. In Tony's mind, they're doing something different and new to break him away from being the sloth of old to be the sloth of new. <laughs> and... I don't think Tony's going to be giving up on this anytime soon. Anytime soon. I don't think so. Well, we do know that Tony has determination. Uh, speaking of other Tonys, Tony Schiavone was back in the ring. And he, you could tell he was killing time until they hit music so it could interrupt him unexpectedly, but Hook's music played. Remember when he was massively over? Yeah, before he did anything. Yes. And, and, then, and then since then, that time. <laughs> but then he hasn't done anything since since he got over. He got over by not doing anything, but then they took him away from us, and he hasn't done anything on television to not do anything. You know what I'm saying. 
Now he got minor clapping. And Tony Schiavone awkwardly pitched a question to Hook twice for some reason <laughs> that what's next for Hook after helping the Hardys on Sunday? And, of course, he doesn't speak before here comes the heels. And this this was all, this was almost like they made this up like, shit, our next segment has food poisoning. Go out there and do some shit. Here came Preston Vance, a guy in a mask, a lucha guy in a mask, and Jose, the assistant, who was doing all the talking. And they come to, before Hook has ever said anything, you can't even really see him because of the hoodie on his head. And they they just go to the ring and attack him and shut him down instantly. Remember I was talking here earlier, the baby faces don't even get a flurry. They don't even get to stand up face to face and look good and then get nut shotted from behind or whatever. They just shut him down. And did you see Preston Vance throwing the punches? I did. I was paying, I was watching for anything he did after the previous time we saw him do something. Correct me if I'm wrong, but was he not one of the dork order that did the fake punches in that? We referred to it earlier in this program, that infamous occurrence angle, whatever on TV about three years ago. Uh, he was in the Dark Order. He was number 10, I believe, but I don't remember if he was yet in the Dark Order in that angle, but that's not to say he wasn't one of the masked guys in the angle. I don't remember. The point is, it's always the dorks. He grabbed fucking Hook, got on top of him, and threw what looked like at least 30 fake punches to his own forearm without coming anywhere in the vicinity of Hook's head. And you can see it on camera. And then Jungle Boy's music plays. And the heels stop their attack and turn around and stare at the entryway. And Jungle Boy walks out carrying a chair like he's going to fucking sit down and watch a concert in the field. And of course, all the heels run at him when they've got the high ground. He can't do anything to him in the ring. They keep him coming through those ropes. He's fucked. So they jump out there and run at him. And they do duck spots, and he hits the heels with the chair. And that frees up Hook in the ring to give Jose a suplex. So while Darby Allen went from challenging for the world title to having his shit pushed in by two unknown job guys, Jungle Boy went from challenging for the world title to saving a guy that we haven't seen in months from jobbers that can't work at all. Your thoughts? My favorite part was when Jungle Boy did his run-in, they played his music, but because it was a run-in and he was going to get physical, they didn't play it too long. So I feel bad for those fans that they hear the music, they stand up, because you heard some of them, oh, and then the music just immediately stops. Yeah, and it was like, oh, oh, oh. The whole reason for that music is for the fans to get up and sing someone else's song. But, you know, again... There's a lot of guys that are just, they don't seem like... Why would you put Preston Vance on television when you have anybody else on your roster? Even the assholes that we don't like. They don't throw fake punches in front of a fucking floor camera. Well, he's got the right friends. <sighs> you want to move on? Yeah. 
TBS title on the line. The new champion, Chris Statlander, against Nyla Rose. I watched this because I want to see Chris Statlander. Nyla Rose has been apparently in, in prison for about a year or so, not on television, maybe a home incarceration. I don't know. Yeah, where has she been? We haven't seen Nyla Rose in... I can't even remember the last thing we saw Nyla Rose do. Well... She was with Vicky Guerrero, I think, and Vicky's been gone a long time now. Here's the thing. They thought, well, we haven't seen Nyla Rose on TV in a year, so we'll bring her back so she can do a job for Chris Statlander because anybody who knows anything about wrestling knows that Nyla Rose is the exact wrong person to put in with Chris Statlander. Not because either one of them can't work, but because, again, the thing that Statlander has going for her is she's taller and bigger than most of the other AEW girls, and she's physically impressive, and she does good power moves for a woman. And also, she's coming off of bad knee injury. So give her a smaller heel that can bump around for her, that she can pick up and throw around, and that if anything happens and, and lands on her surgically repaired knee it might not be the end of the world instead she gets the only girl on the roster that is not only as tall as she is but easily 50 pounds heavier and has a history of tending to fall on some people's appendages so um this was not nearly as bad as most of the AEW girls matches and I think they've got something with Statlander. She looks like she can do some damage, and she's starting to be serious now. And people like her. They have sympathy. Uh, I think this was a little bit long, and I think that Statlander could have looked more impressive because they probably said, well, since you're going over, Chris, make Nyla look as good as she can, even though we haven't put her on TV in a year. Don't go out and make her look bad now. This should have been more dominant for Statlander, first fucking defense, and Nyla Rose chokeslams her and gets a two count on Statlander, and the very next move, Statlander just stops Nyla Rose, goes to the top, and hits the 450 splash, one, two, three. So what went from chokeslam, two count, to, oh, I'll get up, kick you, boom, climb up to top, splash over it. They need either agents to put the matches together or talent that listens to the agents or potentially some instruction from the top to either party about what this, these matches need to look like. But I like Statlander. So pat me on the back. I like Statlander too. I liked her. She really started impressing me before she got hurt. I remember being disappointed when she got hurt. I was a little worried when I saw her do the 450 here. I know how you land on that thing. And she just had her knees done. So I don't know if I would be doing that. But one of the problems with AEW, and this isn't to take away from Nyla Rose, because like you said, it's not about either one of the two people in the match. It's about the styles working well together. There aren't a lot of women top flight in this division. And when I say this division, the Jade division. I mean, it, usually these women over here don't even interact with whatever's going on with the Britt Bakers of the world and over there and that side of things and the green girls the outcasts it appears they're setting up statlander and taya valkyrie now taya hasn't impressed so far but then again she's been working with jade i saw her in two matches with jade yeah 
Let's see her with Statlander. Statlander, she comes out of the same school as MJF and Max Caster, I believe. The Pat Buck school. What is it? Uh, Create a pro. So she's got good training. Let's see if a good opponent will bring out the best in her. That's the, one thing, that's the one thing we haven't had yet is just a great Statlander match. People are behind her and people want to be into her. Now we need a really good opponent for her and we need a really good match. Well, and Taya came in as a babyface and then was a babyface and gets beat by Jade and then Statlander comes in and beats Jane or Jade or whichever her name and now I can't remember. But now is Taya a heel now? <laughs> That's what she seemed like watching the monitor, didn't she? Yeah. And that so again, we don't even know when somebody comes in that we think we're supposed to cheer for, we don't know. We have to check back every week to make sure we're doing the right thing. Speaking of checking back to make sure they were doing the right thing, we have come to our main event of the evening. Adam Cole and Britt Baker in the mixed tag against Chris Jericho and Soraya. And remember, I laughed when they shot the angle on the pay-per-view to come back with the more intriguing match on free television. Now that I've seen this match, I don't... It, it, had, more, it had more appeal to fans to hear mixed tag match in their imagination than they would have enjoyed it when they actually saw it. Because he, they're two for two now. The Falls Count Anywhere single match sucked, and this was not good, not good. Tell me what you thought first. I mean, there's a lot to say. I mean, we could talk about Adam <sighs> Cole and AEW so far, and we could talk about this match, and I think they kind of tie together. Britt Baker, too, at this point. I mean, Jericho, it's a broken record, and we've talked about it, and if Jericho works with the right person, there'll be a good match. If Jericho doesn't work with the right person, things tend to fall apart. The women did not look good in this match. I mean, it went viral, and then AEW pulled down the clip, apparently, off Twitter of Britt and Soraya hitting each other with the forearms. Yes, which... and, and the bend over and do -si do and wait for it and all the other stuff, yeah. This wasn't good. I mean, the one positive, like you said, that people seem to be a little into the idea of the mixed match. The fans were more into this than they were that awful match at the pay-per-view. San Diego was more reactive than Vegas was to all of this, but they need to do something different with Jericho because I think even AEW fans maybe finally burned out on him like we've been saying was going to happen, but Adam Cole... Like, there's nothing that's done him any favors in AEW. Like, you just keep waiting for something, some sign of something. And listen, maybe him and MJF going back and forth on the mic is it. Who knows? But the in-ring has not been there. I mean, it was Orange Cassidy. He's had a bunch of injuries. We never really got to see too much with the Undisputed Era there. We never got to see him work too much with the Bucks because of all that. Those are his friends. You got to think that. Style-wise, that we get the best out of Adam Cole for what he thinks he could do. But this Jericho feud has been terrible. The angles have been terrible. <sighs> the promos, even though... Look, Jericho could talk, and Adam Cole can talk, and Britt, when produced right, can talk. But none of what any of them have said about any of this has mattered. They did a big angle where she got beat up. Doesn't really matter in the general scheme of things. I think, all, I think the AEW fans are ready for this to move on. 
Well, I was ready for it to move on, and I'm going to move through it quickly because just not even the angle, but just evaluating it as a match. Jericho is doing the Vader arm whips bad now. He's conserving every step he can in the ring. He just he grabs a guy by the arm and just kind of shrugs his shoulders, and they're supposed to run all the way across the ring. But the guys started, obviously, the guys and the girls can't interact unless it's the girl beating up the guy. Is that they did one put just early in the match? Well, not early after the first break or whatever. Tony Storm and Ruby Soso came out and attacked Britt on the floor, so Sheeta could run out with a kendo stick, and all of them just fight off, and you never see him again. And Sheeta looked like she was having a party. I mean, I get sometimes you may have to smile when you do something and you can't fight. It happens to me when I'm recording this show, but she looked like she was having the greatest time out there swinging that kendo stick. And and after all that heat that they got on Britt Baker, well, they, they that fucking, uh, who's he, what's he, what's her name? Goddamn Soraya got on Britt Baker, and, and then they have the run-in, and they all fight off, and then Jericho is taunting Baker, and Britt just slaps him and nails Soraya and gives Cole a flat-footed cold tag. Not just a cold tag, but a flat-footed cold tag. Just walked over there, reached out, and had both feet on the ground when she tagged him while they were in picture-in-picture picture with the collision dates graphic on the screen. So they built the heat on Baker, and then she makes her own comeback on both the opponents and gives a flat-footed cold tag while in picture-in-picture. And then Adam Cole made a comeback on Jericho, and then they just laid down and sold so that Britt could make a comeback on Soraya, even though Cole never tagged Britt in. I think they forgot, because she was supposed to be. And then Soraya went for a superplex, and Britt knocked her to the mat, and she landed, took the bump, and then rolled back over and squirmed into position. For to lay there for Soraya to, or for Britt to come off the top, but Jericho's begging Britt, don't come off the top. And then, for the first time ever in the history of wrestling, a heel sacrificed himself. That's the babyface spot. Dusty Rhodes loved that spot. The heels would be ready to come off the top rope on a helpless babyface, and his partner at the last second would jump in and throw his body over the helpless baby face and sacrifice himself. The heel would land on both of them and the guy on top would cushion the blow. Well, this was the baby face in the piece splashing both of them and then got a two count on Soraya. And then they tagged Adam Cole back in, even though she never tagged in to begin with. She tagged him... Eh. And, I mean, then Adam got the, went for the Panama Sunrise, but Jericho caught him in the walls of Jericho, and Britt Baker puts her Michael Jackson glove on and puts the lock jaw on Jericho, but Soraya breaks it. Then they had more, another simultaneous cold tag to the girls, really fake forearms, that's what you were talking about, that was clipped. Soraya dropped Britt Baker right on her head with a DDT. Jericho brought the baseball bat in the ring in front of the referee who did nothing as Jericho swung at Cole and missed and Cole super kicked him. There's the bat fumble. The, 
The referee's standing looking at it. Why did you need the bat to begin with if you couldn't use the bat without the referee seeing it? It, 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 it. And then Cole and Britt hit a double super kick and Cole hit his knee on Jericho one, two, three. So now Jericho is trying to prove to Tony that the 10-year contract he signed him on where he'll be 62 before it's over will lead to great results because he's willing to put over all his talent. And that was about that. I, I, Another Jericho feud where no one comes out of it for the better. I mean, no, I mean, Adam Cole does not come out of this for the better. Chris Jericho doesn't come out of this for the better. They got to do something different. And I don't know what else there is to say about all this. Britt Baker. I, we talk about AEW's women division problems. Britt Baker is not very good in the ring. And again, three years ago when they were starting out, dentist, professional woman, attractive, decent in the ring, we thought. You know, push or make or something, I was all for it because you're starting from scratch. What do you got to lose? And then they made her a heel, and that, that first week was abysmal because they left her twisting the wind. She'd never done a heel promo. But then she gets the promo. But, the you know, the promo came early. The work has not come, and it's late. What were the ratings on this fiasco? Let me get comfortable before I hear these things. Uh, 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 I'm stretching my hip out. Oh, what the hell are you uh, doing? I'm stretching. Uh, okay, I'm getting comfortable. All right, what's the story? The story this week, May 31st, AEW Dynamite on TBS was 923,000 viewers. Oh, now, what was different about this program as opposed to the ones that have been getting 800 and something thousand? Uh, it, it wasn't certainly any better in quality. One must think that something was teased, a possible carrot was dangled on the proverbial stick as to people might hear something that they wanted to hear. Well, we'll see how the ratings play out, but the show opens, segment 1, 8 to 8.15 p.m. Claudio Castagnoli, John Moxley, and Wheeler Yuta versus Bandito and the Lucha Brothers. With picture And, and a two-minute suplex. With picture in picture, 1,040,000 viewers. Oh, now that's the first time in quite a while that they have started at their previous over million level since we began to question the popularity of the Big Bang Theory. So that's a good start. Segment 2, 8.15 to 8.30 p.m., the continuation of the previous match, the Young Bucks, Adam Page, and the Dork Order backstage, the Juice Robinson, Jay White, FTR, Ricky Starks Live promo, 999,000 viewers. Okay, so apparently uh, 41,000 of those were just the people that tripped getting up to change after the Big Bang went off. Segment 3. Tony Khan announces CM Punk's return, along with Tremperetta versus Big Bill versus, <laughs> versus, <laughs> versus Swerve Strickland. I can't say yeah, that name without it being funny. No, even, even if, <laughs> for fuck's sake. Even if he's uh, if he's good, if he's the shits, you know he's he's working hard. He's uh, whatever the fuck. Give him a last name at least. Big Bill Dromo for fuck's sake, Junior. I don't care, but just Big Bill is the most nondescript, generic, bland, 
great value, as they say. How is he, how are you going to market that? There's Big Bill. All right, go ahead. Versus Swerve Strickland with picture in picture, 991,000 viewers. So again, they only lost 8,000. That was the announcement was in that quarter hour that they wanted to hear. But where do they go from here now that all the children have grown up? And how do we face our lives knowing nobody gives us a chance? We go to segment four, 8.45 to 9 p.m. The Chris Statlander promo video, the Acclaims promo on the ramp, as well as Don Callis and Takeshita's live promo, 906,000 viewers. Ooh, okay. Many people apparently have heard what they wanted to hear. That's a drop of 85,000 more. So we are now down... 134,000 since the start of the episode. And by the way, I should say these were compiled by WrestleNomics. Oh, that's right. We got to give credit where credit's due. Thurston Howell III is on top of all of the wrestling business in the various companies these days. All the statistics, the things that people need to know. Well, let's go to segment five here, the big nine o'clock hour, 9 to 9, 15 p.m. Darby Allen and Orange Cassidy versus the Gates of Agony with picture-in-picture, picture, as well as the post-match with Sting, Brian Cage, and Swerve, 888,000 viewers. Ooh, okay, so we've dropped another 18,000. Segment 6, 9.15 and 9.30 p.m., the MJF video, Hook, Preston Vance, and Dralistico? Dralisto? I don't, do we know him? That was the, the guy in the lucha mask. Well, him as well as uh, Jungle and Boy. And a suit. Well, they're apparently lives... now they're, the the lucha suits over in the WWE aren't using the gimmick anymore. So now all the lucha guys in the AEW are wearing the suits. Well, that segment as well as the Outcast backstage promo and Chris Statlander versus Nyla Rose, eight hundred and sixty six thousand viewers. <sighs> there went another twenty two thousand. Segment seven nine thirty to nine forty five p.m. Chris Statlander versus Nyla Rose continued with picture in picture and a recap video, I believe, of the pay per view, 854,000 viewers. So we've got down now to about where they have been over the last, what, several weeks or however many weeks, where we said this is about the number of people that are, that are going to watch, 8, 850, somewhere around there. And finally, segment eight, the main event. 9.45 to 10 p.m., Adam Cole and Britt Baker versus Chris Jericho and Soraya. Now, wait, I thought that might have some interest, maybe more interest than the Falls Count Anywhere single match between Cole and Jericho would have had because at least it's different instead of something that you know is going to look like the same thing they always do with everybody. Did anybody tune in to see that on free television after they shot the angle on pay-per-view? With picture-in-picture. 839,000 viewers. And the answer is no. They've turned 15,000 away. And not in a good way of a sold-out arena. But like, no, we turn away when we see that. Okay, so that's what happened. A bunch of people tuned in to have their question answered. That was the one thing that they were up in the air about over the last week was, is Punk going to be part of Collision or not? 
They start with a million forty thousand, and by the announcement, they had only lost forty-nine thousand of those people, and most of them, as we said, probably the big bangers. After the announcement, they lost another hundred and fifty-two thousand people to finish up starting two hundred and one thousand down from where they began. Considering the mixed reaction to CM Punk, I, you know, I thought the audience would have been like, okay, we heard the news we want. We don't need to watch anymore. Do you think any of the audience said, we heard the news we didn't want to hear. We don't want to watch anymore. Well, no, because why would you not want to watch the rest of the program that you know that he's not on because they announced he'll be on a program that you just keep watching Wednesday if you don't want to see Saturday. But it it did satisfy the curiosity of a lot of the people, but then there was nothing else to hang around for because look at the state of all that. So, you know, again, they only they only lost a certain amount until the announcement in 991,000, and then they lost another 160,000 off of that. That's not AEW's faithful fans tuning out. That's people said, okay, is he coming back? Okay, he's coming back. Well, we'll come back when he comes back. And or they just didn't give a shit about the rest of the program. Well, I think that's part of the problem. That's part of it, too. There's a lot of people on this show that have been on this show a lot, and they're not doing anything special. We've talked about the Orange Cassidy issues where he started off so many shows. Here he is at the 9 o'clock hour, didn't hold anyone from the announcement. They still kept leaving. You had some women's segments. Statlander hasn't been around in a while. Nyla Rose hasn't been around in a while. No one gives a crap about the Outcast and Britt Baker stuff. MJF, it was a throwaway, not throwaway, but it was a backstage promo segment as opposed to anything live. They front-loaded the top of the show with BCC, The Elite, Tony Khan's announcement. Even if you're a hardcore AEW fan, what's the motivation to stay around? To see that Jericho match? So what you're saying is they didn't hold the viewers. The viewers held their noses and turned away. I think... They risk people getting sick of a lot of people they've been using regularly because of how they've been used and also just because they've been used regularly forever. Well, but see, here's the problem. Somebody with the attention span of Tony and or his ilk over there will take that statement and go, okay, that means we should only put somebody on TV once every six weeks. They, they can't, nobody can find the fucking middle ground between light and shadow or science and superstition. You get your top guys, your top guys you push, you hear from them or see them or refer to them or show video of them every week. Okay, and they're winning more, a lot more than they're losing. And then when you've... <laughs> he has talent. He has roster depth, if not talent depth. So then the fucking peons that he thinks are cute that that nobody really wants to fucking look at and they just look past those are the ones that should be seen sparingly and heard even less but those are the ones that he is continually whether it be the mascot or the ridiculous the green girls they're all in green how apropos or just anybody that he has done to death over the last few years, because he gets it in his bonnet, 
that's what people get sick and tired of. And it looks all the same. And especially the chaos in the matches, because there's nobody to oversee the matches with not only the knowledge, but the authority. So that's the problem. You, you want your top guys on TV every week. You just want to make sure that you pick the right top guys. Hey, another note here. This was Dynamite's highest total viewership since March 22nd. However, down 11% in 18 to 49. Whatever that says. I don't even care. You know, what's done is done, and the network wanted what they wanted. But how beneficial do you think it would have been to AEW for Collision to be a one-hour show as opposed to a two-hour show? It would have probably been easier to start off with and make the you know, by popular demand announcement months later or however long later, because that way they wouldn't have to. Again, he's got a plethora of people, but not deep on real talent that can draw a mainstream television audience past the, the bubblicious audience they got that doesn't grow because it's eh. And, you know, again, the mixed reaction in San Diego, that was California. It'd be overwhelmingly positive in Chicago. It would be probably six, one, half dozen, the other in a number of markets. It's going to vary across the country depending on the fan base because every AEW fan from every state in the union is not the same. But again, they're, they're carving up a small pie. They're 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 turning parts of their audience against parts of their roster. They're putting different talent, so as we are led to believe, at least in some part, on their Wednesday night and Saturday night TV shows, not because of a business strategy, but because of fucking meh. So they're diluting the talent roster. They're diluting the the fact that AEW is now on one of those networks. Five hours a week counting Rampage that nobody watches. It's all getting, not only the fan base is getting watered down and, and overexposed, but the talent roster and the television time and everything else. And since all their shit looks the same anyway, because all of these fresh-faced, perky young talents were raised on the Outlaw Mud shows, how are they going to make it look different besides Punk's segment? What's going to fucking be different about Saturday than Wednesday? And if Saturday don't look any different than Wednesday, for the people that watch both, they'll get tired of Wednesday because they're seeing twice as much of it. Well, before we move over to the $21 billion empire known as the WWE UFC conglomerate and rip apart some of their efforts. What are you doing on your fine programming on the Arcadian Vanguard Network, the Wrestling News, the 605, and All Points South? Another fine week of fine programming on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcast or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. Of course, with so much going on in the world of wrestling, you want wrestling news you can trust. Get it every day from the Wrestling News. Get your free daily wrestling newscast. News you can trust, no opinion, no conjecture, no star ratings, just actual wrestling news. And again, free as it will remain. The Wrestling News. 
Get it directly from thewrestlingnews.com or look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Get it every day for free and like it. Also on the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube channel, subscribe today and get free daily wrestling news videos. This week on Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, his guest, George Shire, a fun talk about the AWA and so much more. Check that out today, suawpod.com, or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Membership! Good Lord. Go through the archive today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts, The Mothership. You sound like a ruptured goose over there. (laughs) Yeah, see, and do it again, you'll get hemorrhoids. (laughs) Oh, boy. All righty, then. Before we go into the world of SmackDown, uh, by popular demand, as they... They say, or they used to say, nobody demands anything popularly anymore, but nevertheless, we watched an NXT match from the big show. What was the big show last weekend? I think it was Battleground. The Battleground. Well, we watched one of the Battleground matches because everybody was talking about it and wanted us to check it out and take a look at it. There's literally footage of fans at the AEW pay-per-view event watching this on their phone at the pay-per-view event. Yes, and and they were the smart ones. Um, what's Donovan Dijak? His name in Ring of Honor was Dijakovic, which sounds even more Polish. I wish they'd have kept that, but nevertheless, Donovan Dijak and our our old friend Ilya Dragunov. And remember, I loved. I think you loved too. We all loved. Love was in the air. The matches from a couple of years ago with Volter formerly Walter, now Gunther, and Ilya Dragunov. Uh, one was at one of the NXT pay-per-views or big events. Another one, I still have on my DVR that one episode of NXT from like two years ago with that match. And I said at the time, why can't this be what modern wrestling is instead of the fucking Jolly Jokers, right? So anyway... We took a look at that match. Brian, you watched that match, did you not? This I this did. match with Elia and Donovan, and I did too. And let's just talk about it for a second. And I have to say, the response was pretty surprising. I hadn't heard too much about this match going into it. I hadn't heard really anything at all. And then as soon as it happened, the Cult of Cornet Facebook group, Twitter, emails, tons of requests that Jim has to watch this match. Well, and it, like I said, that's popular demand. By the majority rule that we we are governed by around here. Um, and again, you know, both of these guys, they get it. They're they're not doing a 1970s headlock takeover scientific wrestling match. It's modern style, but at the same time, it's not phony. It's not silly. They've got facials, they show aggression. They're hitting hard in safe places. I, in all honesty, uh, was not thrilled at the stipulation because it was a last man standing match, and that means they get to use furniture too. But it wasn't a garbage match. They weren't setting 
furniture up for stunts to go and climb to the top and jump off and do they were fighting with the furniture and or trying to hit each other with things and it was limited and when they did something with some blunt instrument they sold it and it was a struggle and i thought you know again a billionaire can sign all these little soft little fucking buckaroos and their grade school friends but can't get somebody like this that i know they're on national tv with nxt kind of sort of about at the level that aew is but the nxt guys are not focused on as far as you know as far as the level of the main roster guys so these guys could be brought to a new environment and they could be serious pro wrestlers they don't you know it's, it's they're going to get penalized in the wwe probably because i can't see elia you know acting like the fucking Monsway or Mansoor or the male models or whatever, you know, they'll they'll probably fuck them up some kind of way. But if there was a modern wrestling promotion focusing on serious athletic wrestling, these are two of the guys you would want. Anyway, the body language. You can believe Ilya's nuts because of his face. And they took some dangerous looking bumps and they were really stiff, but I didn't see anything that was reckless or unprofessional. The kendo stick I could have done without, but at least they worked it real again, instead of an AEW type of clown show weapons match where they, you know, just go from one thing to the other. And, and honestly, I say that the weapons sticks and stairs and etc. is the biggest thing wrong with modern wrestling because it's way past overdone in all of these indie garbage matches. But if it was, if it had been on a limited basis over the last 10, 15 years, whatever the case, done in this kind of context with this kind of match that these guys had and sold everything and did it judiciously somewhat, it would still mean something. Because right now it just tells you, well, they've just, they're doing the same shit everybody else does. But these guys weren't really. It's just the visual. When people see garbage in the ring now, they think that's what wrestling is. And they just, you know, I think that's why a lot of people just flip past it. But anyway, so having said that, um, maybe if NXT, I thought was, we see pretty deadly. We see Grayson Waller. We see that tub of goo Joe Gacy. And that's why we haven't been watching a fucking thing. So we've been sleeping on these guys because of their environment. And that's why I say if you got these guys in an environment where everybody, up and down the card, guys like them, you had Gunther's, and you had fucking, um, you know, the the people that we have acknowledged, have halfway clue about what's going on about the wrestling business and want to be serious about it, then these guys would be stars in that environment, I believe. Did you see Dijakovic walking to the ring? Because he, like, uh, he turns to... The commentators tell us his family's there, and there's a woman holding a baby against the barricade, but he's not looking at them. 
He's looking at what appears to be a fan, and then he releases this, again, we don't know what he's doing on that show, this Batman voice, and he's like, get the kid out of here! <laughs> and, I was like, and it, it caught me off guard. I just started laughing, and then I rewound it and watched it again. He's not even looking at the family. He's looking at some other guy. Well, I got to be honest, I skipped the entrances because I always do on WWE productions, but maybe he didn't want maybe he didn't want him to show his fucking family. He, you know, he's like, God damn it, I'm a fucking heel. Whatever. What, what did he say? It was like, you know, take them out of here. He said something. <laughs> <laughs> They gotta go! I forget what he said, but it, it cracked me up. Oh, and I forgot, Elia won with a flying forearm to the back of the head, crashing him onto a, a chair face first. And which was, and because there's a size difference, so that was a good way to, to beat the big man. But with Elia, again, he, he neutralizes a lot of the size issue, because even though he's smaller, he's so tough, so stiff, and just so committed you think he's nuts his facial expressions are what will save him and his body language not just his face but you know he's a smaller guy but he looks like a tough smaller guy in a competition in a fight yeah like you believe his face even without the blood from whatever happened to his chin you believe that this guy's in a struggle and it works we've seen him lose matches and it didn't take anything away from him now he gets over when he gets beat because the the effort is so remarkable. You know who Dijak reminded me of, just body type-wise? And it's not a perfect comparison. Imagine if late-era Killer Kowalski was in better shape. Like, in, Ooh, shape, for, in yeah. shape for these times. Yeah. Because he's got, he's, like, very tall, but he's not, uh, like, not thick like a young Killer Kowalski. He's more like a late-era, or a late-period Killer Kowalski. The late Killer Kowalski. Along about, along about the uh, the lightning bolt tights and... Yes. Yes, and the kind of lean vegetarian figure. And then you add in the Batman voice and it's a winning thing. <laughs> Walter didn't sound anything like Batman, though. He was, he was so... You know, I'll tell this and we'll move on. This will be more interesting than SmackDown. So Killer Kowalski, as everybody knows, was one of the biggest stars in the history of the business, was the classic ring name. And from the time that he debuted, because at the he was six foot, I think seven legitimately, and like 265 with a bodybuilder physique in the late 40s. So nobody looked like that in the country at that time. And then he was Tarzan Kowalski. He was Tarzan Kowalski at first, because he was, you know, that was the the hot movie series, The Man of the Jungle, but, and he got the killer when he knee-dropped Yukon Eric's ear off, but then he became a vegetarian late in the 50s, and he had been one of the biggest stars in the business and in demand everywhere and on top in St. Louis and this and that, and then he just gets out of the business for like a year and a half, becomes a vegetarian, drops all this weight, but then he came back and through the 60s and 70s, he was still one of the biggest names in the business, right? Even though he had the leaner build, his cardio was incredible. He never stopped coming at you. He had the great, you know, growly type interview. But so that's the 60s and 50s and 60s and 70s. So I'm in the WWF. I started in 93. And at that time, Walter, everybody's Uncle Walter, Killer Kowalski, 
had retired and he had opened up the training school where, you know, Triple H and Shine and everybody knows that. But Vince Jr. still, you know, Killer had made so much money for Vince Sr. and every other promoter in the world. He wanted to give him a job at that point and he made him an agent and he would have him sit at the monitor and make notes on the TV matches. And like, is the, the job guys are good or bad, or did the star do a good job of getting over or just anything like that? That's killer's job, right? So I'm sitting there at one of the TV tapings, watching the monitor one day and I'm right next to killer Kowalski and he's got the toupee on by this point, And he, he dresses like, you know, in that era, like a, 1970s uh, high school athletic coach, right? <laughs> the, 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 you know, button down collar shirt and everything and the long pants, but he's got that toupee on. He's got that incredible face and he's got his notepad and his, he's sitting there in his chair and I look over and he is sound asleep. Come, I mean, and he starts, you can hear gentle snoring. And now I'm looking, I'm the only one that's really noticed there's a few other people around, but I'm thinking, do, does anybody have the nerve to wake up Killer Kowalski? And just then, the goddamn bell rings to end the match. Ding, 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 ding. And that wakes him up, and he perks up, and he looks, he's seen none of this thing, right? He starts writing his notes. Good match. <laughs> Kid has really improved. <laughs> and after a little while, then he stopped doing that. And you didn't see Killer anymore on a, on a regular basis. They still loved him, but they were getting notes that he had written in his sleep. You know, he is one of those names that everyone, especially in the Northeast, you heard growing up, even if your family weren't wrestling fans, it was a name out there. One of the things I remember seeing when I was a kid, they aired the Letterman reruns, I think, on Comedy Central. And they had, like, from 82, when Killer Kowalski came on to show off his photography. Yes. Yes. Um... He was a, that was a hobby of his was photography, but he took a lot of great pictures of the boys also, as well as, you know, landscapes or, you know, whatever other kind of photography he did. And then also he was mentioned in an episode of Seinfeld. Do you, do you remember seeing that one? The claw, the stomach claw. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're in the parking garage episode. I think it was. And Kramer's talking about killer Kowalski. He grabbed people. He did the stomach claw. And again, if it got in that script, that was Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David's script that came from a couple of guys in New York who knew Killer Kowalski who probably weren't big wrestling fans. Yeah, well, the, the names, there's, think about this, Bobo Brazil, Killer Kowalski, Gorilla Monsoon, you know, what's some of the, the classic Bruno, names? I mean, Bruno, even though it's Bruno, not a gimmick name that everyone knew, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, those names, you knew those names because of the newspaper coverage and the TV was everywhere. And even if you weren't a fan, you'd see the posters or, you know, whatever, right? You would, And you remembered names like that. Not like uh, some of the names that we've got these days, which have you... That's another reason I think we blew off NXT. Remember the fucking names? We couldn't even pronounce them. These are not names. They're just made-up words. You know, when was the last time a wrestler was allowed to be called Killer on a major stage? I mean, Karrion Cross was Killer Cross, and WWE got rid of that. Killer Kowalski. Talk about names from that era. I wish I could have asked my dad, because he always said, I remember another guy named Buddy, and I would say Buddy Rogers, and he would say no, and I never even 
thought to say, what about Killer Buddy Austin? Buddy Austin. Killer Buddy Austin. He was a and, killer. Uh, well, yeah. But also, uh, Killer Khan worked for yeah. fucking... Right when, when Vince Jr. was taken over, he was still there. Has there been just, here is the killer? What, what about, could, could there be a, if there can be a killer now, could there be a maimer? I think so, because I think maim as a word is out of, uh, out of step with contemporary culture, so I don't think people would know enough about it to understand what it is. It could be like maimer Mike Moraldo. Mike Moraldo's going to get this gimmick, really? Yeah, maimer, well, I like alliteration. But then if he was on AEW, they'd play the theme song from Mame for his entrance <laughs> you music. See, you see, there's the problem. And it's nice to see you taking care of Mike Moraldo. Nice to see once you're managed by Cornette for all eternity. You're always in. You're always in. All right, speaking of always in, should we get to the main event of the program? The Bloodline Saga continues on SmackDown from June the 2nd. And by the way, I, I, I know the ratings were giant for the last segment. I'm not sure where they started and where they finished, but maybe you can you can ask Thurston Howell the third while we're talking about this, if we got SmackDown numbers. I don't think we have them yet just because of the weekend. Ah, that's it's the weekend. The Fast National Overnight said something like 2.7 million for the Bloodline segment, the big, the big blow-up. We'll see if that holds true. But anyway, did you love the Roman Reigns package where they, you know, celebrating his thousand days because this is the night of the celebration, but all of the reigns that he surpassed and they included all world champions, not just the WWF or even WWWF. And you guys, the whipper Billy Watson, Dick Hutton was in there. CM Punk was in there. Punk, well, well, yeah, I figured they'd take any chance they could to show him being outlasted or whatever, but I was, I'm thinking they really went deep in that thing and tried to be completist to go for Billy Watson and Dick Hutton. Dale TNT Man was in there. No, he was not. For heaven's sake. He actually, I think his, his run as, what was it, fucking Kentucky mid-heavyweight champion or something may have been interrupted several times. How many but, days did the Sheik hold the U.S. title for? Well, how many days have there been in the century? <laughs> but this is a world title, so they can get around that. But then did, you saw the tweet. The treat. Well, it was a treat. It was a treat <laughs> to see his tweet <laughs> that, that Brian Solomon put out just for perspective. Bruno was champion for what? A total of 2,800 days and defended on average every four days during the time he held the belt. <laughs> and I think Backlund's average was every two days over, what was it, 1,800 or 2,000 days or whatever. And then, and I'm not knocking him because it's a different time. I know that. But Roman has had like as many defenses in a thousand days as the guys used to have in like two months. So it, it was perspective. I wonder how different Bruno's number is for the first reign. If you take the second reign out and just do each reign separately in terms of the amount of days he worked during the reign, because when he came back is when he had that sweetheart deal of we can kind of really yes. do whatever he wanted. I would think it would be front loaded. The first eight years, he was probably defending almost every night. And then, the second run, maybe what, with three times a week, maybe something like that. 
And again, he turned down the NWA title when they wanted him to win it because he didn't want, well, according to Bruno, because he didn't want to work more days. He wanted to work less days. Well, yeah, but also there was the problem that Thez wasn't going to put him over unless he got his way either. So it was a moot point, you know, over that. But anyhow, SmackDown started with Austin Theory in the ring doing a promo. And he's, again, he's starting to have fun as a heel. And I like that little cute little Southern accent. He's almost lost, but he's still got a little bit of it. It comes out in him. But he says if you combine his reign with Roman Reigns' reign, you'd have 1,209 days. But he's going to have 1,000 or 2,000, 4,000 as U.S. champion. He's going to do it as long as he wants to. And then he brings out Pretty Deadly. And I'm like, oh, shit. And they figure into this thing because they beat up the Brawling Brutes last week and they did some... Silly interaction with Theory for about 30 seconds, and then the Brutes music played. <laughs> and I said, well, I see where this is headed, and I'm moving on. Because they immediately went into a six-man tag team match with Austin Theory and Pretty Fucking Deadly, who looked pretty fucking ridiculous, against the Brawling Brutes. And by the time this thing, with the whole segment, the interview the six-man tag multiple breaks etc by the time they got out of there and pretty deadly at least one they did a double team on ridge and a theory pinned him so theory got the pin but at least they were on the winning side but we were 30 minutes into the program and i like my boy theory but not that much comments um you know i, I started <laughs> no, i started watching with theory doing the promo because you know, I want to see how he grows. We didn't really talk about it. I'll probably ask you on the next drive through But Cena did an interview recently, I read comments from, where he talked about how he was shooting on Theory in a way, with what he was saying to him in the ring. That Remember, he didn't... I, uh, yeah, and, and poor old Theory kind of stood there and got slapped around and took it. He said he didn't believe him. So I think what we're seeing right now is him kind of growing into himself. They brought out Pretty Deadly, and I was conflicted because we are hearing from some of the listeners who do say, give them a chance, they're pretty good, but they look so ridiculous, and they act ridiculous. Yeah. And then they're in a match with... you. See, you hit the nail on the head. Immediately, you know they're setting up a six-man match. Here it comes. Who will it be against? Oh, that's right. They're talking about the Brutes, and it went right into that. It was completely predictable. I think a kid could have picked up on where they were going. I didn't stay for the match. Very good. So they had a package from the Knight of Champions on the tag team title picture and the bloodline, etc. And Paul Lee was back there sweet talking solo, saying we need to make tonight special for Roman. And make sure that, you know, everything's good and he's going to be talking to Pierce and make sure that the Usos are not there tonight to spoil this situation. And then, and we'll get back to that. You had to watch Gallows and Anderson against Skid Row for the morbid curiosity. I wanted to see Gallows and Top Dollar in there together, so I yeah. did watch it. Plus, I, I admit, B-Fab is a good-looking woman walking around ringside. She never wrestles anymore. She just walks around ringside, so I'll watch. That's the best place for her from what I've seen of her wrestling, but... As a matter of fact, you know, she's like one of those kids back when I was in the locker room all the time, you know, when I was a veteran, the young kids would come up and say, 
Mr. Cornette, did you see my last match? And I'd say, son, I certainly hope so. But anyway, they've smartened up to Skid Row now, though, because they don't get an entrance, and they're keeping Flop Dollar mostly out of the picture. Last few times, I don't. one time he didn't tag in at all. But at the same time, it's so fascinating to watch him especially because they're trying so hard to act like they're over. And even the announcers on the company-sanctioned broadcast make fun of him. Um, he Flop Dollar especially, I, he works like his arms and legs aren't connected to his body properly. It's like they're on sideways or twisted or something, and they move at an unnatural angle. He looks like a 40-year-old basketball dad. So, did you see B-Fab's punch, by the way? I did. Did you see how much space was in between her fist and the guy's face? It may not have been B-Fabulous, but I saw the B-Fab punch. <laughs> so anyway, Gallows and Anderson beat him in about three minutes. And Flop didn't get to feed on the comeback. He got booted off the apron. But then after the pin... Flop comes in and blindsides Gallows and Anderson and somehow manages to fucking awkwardly shove them out of the ring so that he can turn around and AJ can hit him with the phenomenal forearm. And down he went, and all the kids at ringside were playing in his shade. I have a suggestion to make this all more palatable. Get rid of Gallows and Anderson, put AJ with Hit Row. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the... The different personalities. I've never met any of the the Skid Row folks, but I've I've no AJ, and I bet you they they none of them would have a lot to talk about. There you go. That's what WWE likes. Funny, <laughs> wacky comedy segments like AJ goes into the studio to record a rap album with Hit Row as new friends, and it sucks because AJ can't rap. Moving along, but um, we get rid of Gallows and Anderson. Look on the positive side, because do you like any of their matches? Well. I used to, but it's it's been rough here for quite a while now. I used to love her, but it's all over now. But it's all over. This show ain't over, and I'm trying to make it so. <laughs> We're moving along. So Pierce and Paulie are in the back, and the Usos travel, Adam says, has been canceled. Security has been doubled in case they try anything. So... I'm sure he meant he, that their travel was canceled earlier in the day because it's already fucking going on, what, 9 o'clock Eastern. If they'd taken an early morning flight, they could have thwarted that. But nevertheless, then we get the Grayson Waller effect again. This unknown nerd, for some reason, gets a talk segment. Roddy Piper had been in the business for 10 years before they gave him Piper's Pit. And as we've mentioned before, it was three minutes tops. And he was recognized as the best talker in the business by many. Yes. So now this guy gets 20 minutes, and you better recognize he ain't recognized. So it's with Oscar. And again, I'm going to ask you, before we talk about who all comes out and the mess this becomes, how is this not on somebody's radar as stereotypical or even downright racist to the Japanese people, the way that she is, I don't know, told to act or encouraged to act or written for to act or what, what the fuck? It's, 
it's like she's grunting and squealing and trying to shit when she's impacted. And it sounds like the bad 60s, you know, Godzilla movies dubbed over. What the fuck is going on with this? I don't know. And you've raised this issue several times. And it's one of those weird things where I'll admit I like Oscar, but and it came out here and I thought about it. So, I mean, you bringing it up here isn't outrageous. It seems a bit over the top. And, you know, if They're anyone screaming and sticking their tongues out at each other when EO Sky comes out and acting like they're about to throw out. I think if anyone else behaved like that, people would accuse them of being, you know, stere of stereotypically impersonating someone. But unless one of these women come out and say we were told to do this and we hate it and it was stereotypical, I don't think anyone's raising a stink. It would be like if they asked Bobby Lashley to talk like Uncle Remus, wouldn't it? And I wouldn't put that past WWE. Well, but it, it, all right. Um, so on this talk program, random graphics and questions from supposed people on Twitter or something are rolling, scrolling across the bottom of the screen. And as I mentioned, he's talking to Oscar and she's talking Japanese and he's acting like he understands what's going on. And here comes EO Sky. And they have an argument, EO and Oscar in Japanese. Did you see the tweet that somebody put out with graphics of the English translation? You know what? I didn't because I saw that tweet before I watched SmackDown and I thought it was from the previous interaction they had on Raw a long time ago. I didn't realize it was a new thing, so I didn't see the translation yet. No, well, I can't remember. I can't quote everything from memory, but I do remember that apparently EO Sky was screaming piece of shit in Japanese <laughs> about eight or ten times. <laughs> See, I like her. EO Sky's you great. And, and, and fucking Oscar <laughs> said, you're stupid. And EO said, you're piece of shit, stupid, piece of shit, stupid, piece of shit. <laughs> so then here comes Bailey. And by now, in case you're wondering, folks, they're having a women's money in the bank ladder match also. It's that time of year again. It's coming up. They've had the men's qualifying match. They're going to have a women's so at that event, we have to watch two Money in the Bank ladder matches, like we have to watch two Royal Rumbles and two of this and two of that. And they're going to put the girls on before the guys just to take the edge off the fucking guys. But so anyway, here comes Bailey. And here's the problem, too. You talk about predictable segments. As soon as you saw that they were building up Money in the Bank and there was one person out there and a second person, you knew there was going to be five more people coming out. And here comes Shotzi. And then here comes Lacey Evans, who has come back from Limbo or the Forbidden Zone. Camp or Pendleton. Camp Pendleton. Yeah, well, she's wearing Slaughter's hat now. If you gave her a chin implant, she would look like Sergeant Slaughter's daughter. Slaughter's daughter. That's what they ought to care. She is Slaughter's daughter. That's good. See, I'm just, I just come up with it like that. It's a talent. That's really good. Slaughter's daughter. I like that. Trademark. Trademark. And then here came Zelina. Zelina's out. Everybody wants the money in the bank, so all of them are arguing, but Oscar has left and gone to the entranceway so that the rest of the girls can scream at each other in their various dialects or whatever. But suddenly, Bianca attacks Oscar in the entranceway, and we have a big pull-apart there with all the agents and the blah, blah, blah. And I, I was like, at this point... I said, this should be on Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network. 
because it's like a bunch of people out there just screaming at each other and then a a cat fight with you know 18 people trying to play just, and we got to see a what eight how many women is in this six six, six. women ladder match fucking hell the sad thing is I'm so primed to see something with EO Sky coming out of that. We haven't seen anything with her since that Puerto Rico match. Nothing. Well, we ain't going to see anything now because it's going to be a ladder match with six of them. That's the problem. I would like to see her and Asuka one-on-one. That may be really good. I'd like to see her against Bianca again. I'd like to see her against a lot of people. Instead, she's going to be one of a number of people in this match. And yeah, I I hate these segments where you just know music is going to play and one person, then another person, then another person is going to come out. Well, and speaking of which, after they got all that cleared, they came back from the break. Zelina and Lacey were still in the ring. Apparently, they had been out there for almost 10 minutes since that last segment blew up. And then they have a match, and Zelina beats Lacey in about two minutes. (laughs) Zelina is a foot shorter and who knows how many pounds lighter. And this fucking Lacey, she's pissing some people off. I mean, I don't know what to say. So, again then, there's one other thing I saw before we get to the bloodline. You know, if she's doing Slaughter's Daughter, they gotta give her privates. Just so she can do the famous line, let me introduce you to my privates. And there they are. Well, hey, in that case, if I was the booker, I would then book myself into a spot <laughs> where I am a corporal. Oh, come on. Oh, come no, on. No, no, I'm saying I'm a corporal <laughs> and I come in and tell Lacey Evans that I'm here to inspect her privates. So anyway, <laughs> another of the Money in the Bank qualifying matches was L.A. Knight against Montez Ford. And okay, L.A. Knight, come on, I'm pulling for you, baby. I'm going to watch this, Right. And by the they rang the bell. It's an hour and 20 minutes into the show. We've had that one long six-man and two, like, two-minute squash matches. So, and maybe they'll, these guys, both athletic, blah, blah, blah. Remember, I, I brought up the situation with Oscar and EO and the way that they have really everybody, every Japanese talent on the WWE roster for how many years? Can you think? They're always goofy or acting in some male, female, whatever. Again, I will make this observation. Isn't it somewhat racist that all the black tag teams either have to dress like basketball players or have gimmicks where they dance or sing or rap or drink out of cups? Is that not somewhat stereotypical? I mean, whenever I see someone drink out of a cup, I say, oh, this is stereotypically black. I don't know. <laughs> Drinking well, out of the no, cups may not be on that list. Well, no, the, the, it's, a, it's a thing. The red solo, they had an article about this a few years ago when they first started doing that on one of the websites. The, the red cups are, uh, was a thing that they were doing in the, in the hood if, with, with either some type of, uh, I can't remember whether it was an alcohol or some type of something they were drinking. I think if WWE is telling them to behave a certain way, you have something. If they're saying the red cups are part of culture, we're going to bring that into what we're doing to connect with the culture. I think that's okay. Mm. But we don't all all of the black talent that I booked in OVW on WWE's behalf had gimmicks or dressed or spoke in a way that they could have been 
Black, red, green, purple, whatever. Shelton Benjamin, Elijah Burke, Mark Henry, Jazz. I never felt the need to put anybody in a fucking basketball outfit. Blaster Lashley. Lashley. There you go. He was he cut quite a trim figure back then. Of course, he hadn't changed in 20 years. That's right. Still in great shape. But anyway, so they opened this match, L.A. Knight and Montez Ford, with wrestling. I think L.A. Knight's smoother and he a little bit more on the ball with wrestling because he's more experienced. He's worked outside the WWE system. Ford is very athletic. He's just not as... L.A. Knight is a bit more of a wrestler than most of the talent that they have, so they don't have as much experience working with a wrestler as they do with people that were trained in the performance center. And again, beside they, yes, they went two minutes to break. Well, when they came back, I will talk about, they, they did this from the start. The, the L.A. Knight's the heel. Montez Ford's the baby face. Every time that L.A. Knight does anything uh, offensive, the people fucking cheer. And every time F Ford gets anything at all on L.A. Knight, they boo. And even when they were trading punches, L.A. Knight was the yay and Ford was the boo. And because they set all these matches up beforehand and approve them or whatever the fuck, L.A. Knight was losing all the exchanges because he was the heel and that was the way the, the match was designed, but the fans weren't digging that. And I would, I would think if he'd have been able to, he might have... You know, L.A. Knight should have been calling a match, but it was predetermined, predestined. But in the old days, you'd switch around a little bit. I'm not talking about just the babyface suddenly switch heel and vice versa, but you would have switched around a little bit to let the heel give the babyface a few more bumps because the people were wanting to fucking like it. But anyway... Instead, it was both mostly Ford kicking the shit out of L.A. Knight while the fans chanted L.A. Knight. And then after a back and forth, L.A. Knight rolls him up, the O'Connor roll up, and they're next to the ropes, and I've seen him do this before, and his timing is great. He rolls up, the referee goes down to count one, he grabs the middle rope, two, three, and he bails right out. Big cheers for the heel <laughs> cheating to beat the babyface. This is the, if this is by design, and, and L.A. Knight got almost no offense, at least in the match we saw on the air. They went through a break. Maybe it was during the commercial. But if this is somehow planned to be this way, this is the strangest push in the history of wrestling. And, and no matter how much they like him, the fans, I mean, they either beat him or he wins by the skin of his teeth and generally uh, gets fucking the short end of the stick on everything and people cheer for him because they want to i don't know what to add to that good match both guys really talented la night stands out if you're flipping past the channels i have to think if you're going past like an AEW or something or even a lot of the times wwe tv it just seems like random people jumping in the air <laughs> la night seems like a wrestler and he gets your attention there's an intangible that you can't teach people, just there's something wiry about him, you can't take your eyes off him. And that's despite the booking, which hasn't done him any favors. Although this is the only guy that survived Bray Wyatt. 
Bray Wyatt died. This guy lived. And the pop at the finish was telling. This is an organization that likes to sweeten the sound even on live shows. There was no hiding that. The people want more from L.A. Knight than the way he's being presented. And that goes away if this continues the way it is. Then it turns into Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. They got to do something. There's no reason not to capitalize on something with him, whether it's he has to win money in the bank or whether it's something else. This is a guy who does good promos, has good matches. The people are into him. Push him. Do something more with him. I can understand if the roster was still Rock, Austin, Undertaker, Triple H, Foley, whatever, but it's not. So take a fucking chance on somebody. And they, they, at, at this point, you don't have to wait for the next Steve Austin. They're, uh, they're about to be ready for the next Takamichinoku at this rate. Anyway, Triple H then came out for the main event segment, which lasted two segments before we could get it all in, but he gave Roman the big introduction, talked about, you know, the thousand-day reign. He put him on a level of Muhammad Ali and Michael Jordan and then introduced him as a man that you'll tell your kids and grandkids about. <laughs> you can tell Triple H is loving to, to stir people up a little bit by praising a heel. It was like his chance to halfway be heelish again. And then here comes Roman with, with Paul and Solo, and obviously the Usos' travel was canceled. We heard earlier from Adam Pierce at Heyman's request. They've doubled security at the building. And Triple H presented Roman with the brand new undisputed universal title belt. So the two belts that he had before had the big W with a blue background and the big W with a black background. And now this one looks exactly the same, except it's a big W with a gold background. I was really hoping they were done with that design because it looks so stupid. All it does is promote the brand. It doesn't say anything about the championship or the wrestler. It's just about, look at our logo. And I was really hoping they were done with that, but no, more of the same. No. Ugly belt. Uh, but also, is he the undisputed universal champion? Isn't Seth Franklin Rollins disputing that? No. Because he's the new world heavyweight champion? That's right, world, not universe. The universe oh boy. is only reigned by Roman Reigns. Seth Rollins has... This little green planet. I thought it was a little blue marble. Harley Race called it God's green earth. Well, but there is no God. Whereas there are yeah. marbles. You're lucky you're saying this now. Harley Race isn't here to defend himself. Well, that's why I'm saying it. He might light Castle Cornet on fire and ask for a job. I'd give him a job. I'm putting out the fire. Anyway, so Roman then holds the belt up and milks the acknowledge me and gets a big pop. And before he can speak, Usos music. And here come the Usos. Brian, where was the security? I don't know. Apparently there were extra security supposed to be there. I bought that they can buy their own plane tickets, but where was <laughs> they said they doubled security. There is no security. How did they get in? All right, anyway. So they go to the break at this point. I'm thinking, what the fuck? You've got goddamn... The Indians are charging down the hill at Custer, and this is a time to fucking 
sell douche products? But anyway, we come back and we're in the ring and the Usos are face-to-face -face with Roman Reigns. And Roman starts out telling Jay, kick Jimmy in the face. Do him what he did, you know, that's what he did to me, so fix this. And Jay won't do it. And he keeps ordering him, kick your brother in the face. And he just pacing around, he won't do it. And Jimmy jumps in and he did a heck of a promo here. He said, the only one that needs fixing is you, Roman. I did what I did because I was being a brother. I, with love and respect, you ain't been a good brother. You manipulated. You betrayed us. You've gone crazy. These are my brothers. Solo, that's what he's going to do to you, what he did to us when he's finished with you. He laid the whole thing out, right? And did a great job, great stuff. And then Roman gets a chance to fire back that, he made everybody, and that's why the, the, the bloodline's where it's at, because of him, and he's the leader. And he said, look at your brother, ask Solo, who are you loyal to? And you see Solo thinking about it. And then he says, I acknowledge you, my tribal chief. But then he says, but these two are my brothers. And Solo walks from Roman's side to stand with the Usos, and the people are going crazy. And now Roman's facials are, he is, he's thinking about this. He's conflicted. He's pissed off. He don't know what to do. Paul's over there shitting himself. And then Jimmy, he pitches the fucking thing. He says, do you want to run this together? Or do you want to be on the island of relevancy all by yourself? We can do this together. You know, blah, 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 right? And Roman tells Jimmy to shut up, and Jimmy pie-faces Roman. And then the people by now are chanting holy shit to the point where all audio is muted for about 10 or 15 seconds. I'm thinking, oh, God, they got to shut the people up so we can hear what's going on. And then Jay calms them down. Not like this. I need you both. We're better than this. We, we can't do this. That's when Jimmy calms down and says, we're stronger together. These are my brothers, but so are you. So be our brother. Let's do this together. We're family. We're still the ones, right? That's the big question. And Roman anguishes over it. And he's thinking and he's rubbing his face. And then he hugs Jimmy. And the people cheer like crazy. And you see a close-up of Roman and he's crying. And it's emotional, and there's a long, prolonged hug. And then Roman's face goes blank, and he's still got the microphone. He shakes his head, and he says, No, that was the answer to the question. We're still the ones, right? No. He backs off from Jimmy with a stern look, and Solo spikes Jimmy. Holy shit. Down goes Jimmy. And Jay's checking on him, and Roman shakes his head and walks out, and Solo stares at his brothers and then leaves with Roman, and they all get to the top of the entranceway while Jay's still checking on Jimmy and not even on microphone, but just in the camera. Paul asks Roman, what about Jay? And Roman says he's going to do what he always does. He'll fall in line. And scene. 
So what an amazing, dramatic play on this week's Inside the Actor Studio. It ain't wrestling, but what the fuck? None of the other shit is either. At least this is good. What'd you think, old Brian Last? I like the Usos acting more than even their wrestling. I got to be honest with you. Yes. I think yes. Jay Uso's fantastic, and Jimmy Uso just recently has really come into his own. Solo's been great. You know, as this was happening, your mind starts going to all the possible options. What if Solo turns on his brothers? What if Solo goes after Roman Reigns? What if Roman walks out of the ring and says, I'll do something else? Shows up next week with Jacob Fatu. Lots of different options came <laughs> into my mind. It's intriguing. You want more. You have to wait for more. And you don't know where they're going to go. I will say to their credit, I think they've successfully gotten everyone past the idea that Cody didn't get the belt from Roman at WrestleMania. No one's focusing on that anymore. Yeah. So we'll see what the next chapter is. I'm still intrigued. I think they probably have to introduce someone or some kind of new dynamic into this soon just because it's the same. Now it's the same five people every week. So something has to happen. Jacob Fatu. That'd be badass. What would Vince change his name to? That's the problem. Oh, God. Probably Peter, Peter the Pumpkin Eater, knowing Vince. I don't know, but it's not going to happen anyway, or it'll happen by now. But nevertheless, that was SmackDown, and we just can't wait to see what's going to go on next week, can we? Oh, no. Oh, no. And the people can't wait to hear what's going to go on next week on our programs, can they? Oh, no. Oh, no. And the people can't wait for us to close this one up so we can come back with a new one, can they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Fuck you. And bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights, I get to stay up late. Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate. Hey, Mom, I need to watch the show. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Meltzer says I'm in the key demo. Don't.
Wrestling heaven. Don't listen to Corgi, he hasn't been relevant since 87. He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick, or that Bobby Eaton could hold the camera to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Miro. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero The young bucks could shoot on Buzz Sawyer Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer Don't come in, Mom! Don't come in! Are you touching yourself again? No. Choo-choo the Wi-Fi password! Oh, no! Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch this show Elter says I'm in the key demo I'm 39, I'm in the 